We're recording now, Jeff. Oh, we yeah. are? Yeah, and I'm actually moving the, ca- the, the camera. <laughs> There's no camera. I'm moving the, the computer closer to you because you were quieter before and I was louder. So oh. now, now it's more you. Oh, wow. Well, I will make the point not to talk too loudly now. Hello, I'm Graham McMillan, and welcome to a special episode of Wait What, a comics and pop culture podcast. It's coming to you, actually for once, both in the same place in Portland, Oregon. Uh, this is a... I was going to say live episode as if the others are recorded. What I really mean is Jeff and I are both in the same place for once. We're taking some questions from listeners and whatnots like yourself, but also meandering horrifically as you're about to find out. The audio in this episode is slightly odd compared with normal because we were just working without a microphone. We're just recording in front of a laptop, but hopefully you guys can put up with it anyway. Warning, there's a dog barking in a couple of times and that's relatively loud. Otherwise... Here's the episode. I hope you enjoy. And now we have to go, Jeff Lester! Right, I'm supposed to be Graham McMillan. And we're right next to each other. It's very exciting. I know, it's very surprising. It's... We're, we're in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Jeff is in Portland, Oregon, and he's been here for 17 years. It feels like it. Feels like it. <laughs> Which is great, although, because I've, uh, this is this is my first time seeing Graham, despite being here, like, a substantial amount. Of, 17 years, exactly. And uh, I didn't even bother seeing my brother who lived here for like the first 16 and a half years. So yeah. <laughs> so good job. But we have just had ice cream. So yes. everything's fine. Oh my God. It, it was so good. good. It was good, right? Yeah, right. it really was. It was, it was good. People, definitely. Yeah, if, if you're in, and Salt and Straw is, is elsewhere apart from Portland, right? There's definitely one in Seattle. I don't know. Yes. I, I think there might be one in Los Angeles or I, I don't know if there's one in San Francisco. I don't, I feel like it hasn't opened yet. Okay. Uh, listeners, if you ever, if you're anywhere near a salt and straw ice cream location, yeah, uh, I think both of us can say the strawberry with oh uh, my God. balsamic vinegar, strawberry, honey, balsamic yes. vinegar with pepper, which was amazing. Really good. We both had uh, that, that, that's a two thumbs up. From yeah, way one exactly. Podcast. The best comic book you'll read this week. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're doing well already. We've got like off course within like thirty seconds. That's what people expect. Uh, it's like, what's the food going to be? What weird movie or TV? Oh, hey, what, what? Jeff is now wandering around. So, oh, yeah, the, the audio is going to be weird because we're literally recording this in the living room, yeah. and you're all just going to have to put put up with that. Yeah, sorry. sorry. So it may be a little echoey. It's not our usual, somewhat measured via Skype type. Right? Yeah. It, it'll be fine. It'll be uh, fine. But I, but I have a question, Jeff. Yes. Uh, I know you've been to the Waffle Window. A, how many times have you been to the Waffle Window? Because you have, joking aside, you've been here for four days. Yes. So how many times have you been to the Waffle Window, which is within walking distance of where you're staying? That's right. Uh, twice. That's, I think that's r- I know, relatively sedate. Yeah. I what know. did you have? Uh, I, you know, I gotta say, I, I stick to the basics. This is going to be surprising, but like... I go to the waffle window for the savory. Like, their sweet is so good. Yeah, but the, the tomato bees. Jeff. Yeah, the so I had the bees. tomato bees and I had the farm fusion. And uh, you then do I went like back the farm fusion. Yeah, farm you're fusion farm is farm. really good. Yeah. Uh, the tomato bees is also my favorite. Yeah. So, again, another way what guarantee food, Absolutely. Uh, which is tomato. <laughs> oh, that, that's one of the dogs. The dogs are around. You're going to hear them barking as well. Yeah. Again, <laughs> this is going to be a fascinating podcast. Jeff I, Jeff, I love you, but you can't say shh to a dog. They don't understand. They do. They quiet it down. Or maybe um, I was shushing you. That's, no. that's true. <laughs> um, so that means is tomato, basil, and brie. 
Yeah. On a, on a uh, Belgian model. And it's delicious. Yeah. The tomato bees. And it also usually comes with a little bit of marmalade on the side. I never use the marmalade. Uh, you know, it seems always seems weirdly extraneous to right? me, too. Yeah. Why, why would you do that? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I guess for some people, again, they're trying to, if you want that sort of, because it's marmalade, it's not purely sweet. You know, it's got a little bit of... But yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in that logic. I, I say no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I love that one. And yeah. the farm fusion, I mean, I'm not into vegetables. You know that. Yes, it's I, true. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. That, but that I, I've, heard, I've heard good things about it. <laughs> <laughs> it is excellent. It is excellent, everyone. If you get a chance, definitely get out here to uh, Portland, Oregon. Salt and Straw, Waffle Window. Uh, we would previously say the the pizza place but they've, they've turned on us oh. and gone vegan which Je- jeff got a chance to see the menu heartbreaking it was hilarious too because there's a place that serves some of the best pizza i've ever had <laughs> in my life and now it's literally like grain bowls and like there's a there's like a granola bowl for breakfast that i don't even think is real granola like you no, know because I mean? it'd be a grain and they're trying to be grain free exactly so i think it's like chia seed things that have been jelly all, all i know is i've looked at the menu and there's one thing i want to try yeah one and i was like this is tragic it is it is a bummer i did finally go to pine street biscuits which of course everyone loves and is a beloved new institution here i have to say that was... it's not a new institution pine street's been here for, for as long as i've been well here. that's true but i feel like it's it's i feel like it really became a thing in the last four or five years maybe it always that's, has that's been. probably right that's yeah. probably right so um and that, I have you, see have why you done, a thing. Have you done Blue Star? Because yes. you, you like the Blue Star Donuts? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I have. And in fact, I've got a new favorite Blue Star Donut. Which is? The chocolate bergamot, chocolate buttermilk bergamot. Oh, that's good. Is that really, is good. It is good. Did I tell you about my, my free voodoo donut? No. Oh, I never told you about this one. Happened. No, what? Oh, so months ago now. Months and months and months ago. I really could have sworn I told you this. Um... They released Steven Universe on DVD. Uh-huh. You didn't tell me this. I do not think. And to promote the Steven Universe DVD release or Blu-ray or whatever it was, uh-huh. one morning I look out in the porch just there and there's a massive, I mean a massive Voodoo Donut box. And I open it up and there's six donuts with like the red and the yellow star like Steven's t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And then there's a massive donut of Steven Universe. Wow. You did not like, tell me this. When I say massive, I mean, yeah, like, um, you know, imagine, okay, so we're looking right now at my MacBook Air, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine that opens out entirely, mm-hmm. twice that. Good God. Really? So like really big. Yeah, that's really enormous. Um, listeners, you may have heard about Voodoo Donuts from Portland and you may have heard that it's good. Here's the thing. Everyone's lying. Voodoo Donuts are not good donuts. And I, I There's discuss- an asterisk with that, I think. What is a good donut for Voodoo Donuts? I'm, all I'm saying is their, their basic donut is not particularly good. See, this it's funny you should say this because I actually have had disappointing times with Voodoo Donuts every time that I've got, basically, except until um, my brother we suggested. Well, no, my brother suggested that stopping by there, and he's like, "Yeah, the trick with Voodoo Donuts is don't get the ones with like the Captain Crunch yeah. cereal or don't get the over the top stuff." He's like, they're actually pretty decent on their basics, like if you get their apple fritter. And honestly, I think their apple fritter is pretty decent. Okay. I'll, then maybe you the, definitely disagree. Maybe the apple fritter is, but all I'm telling you is they gave me a big box of free donuts. Yeah. 
I honestly couldn't eat more than one. No, I, I absolutely I was like, agree with you. And it was literally just a donut with icing. There was nothing special about the donut. No. And it's just like, no. This yeah, is... try, try the apple fritter. It's, I mean, I don't know if you've had the um, I mean, apple mind, cider. Yeah, absolutely. Bear in mind, Blue yeah. Star is three blocks from my house. Yes. Voodoo Donuts is all the way downtown. So yeah. I would obviously go to the one that's closer yeah. and better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I agree. Uh, I agree. I'd, I'd be punishing myself. Although I do have to say, uh, the not this time, but the last time I was here, um, Blue Star Donuts were too rich for me. Like I couldn't, I, I would eat were them and they were then? delicious. I must have been healthier. I think now that I'm in a more squalid state, yeah, I, I had them and they were, I was like, this is great. But here's, here's the thing, Jeff. We were just saying this before we started recording. You've had like three months of shit. Yeah. Like you've lived through three months of shit. That's right. And so I think you could have like rich donuts now and your right. body's like, Dude, you made it. What, whatever. <laughs> Do whatever you like. Sure. You know, it's party. <laughs> you know, you're still alive after these three months of shit. Right. This, this is true, Graham. But I think the other thing that I was sort of saying when we were talking about that is because I was going through three months of shit, I was working so hard to take care of myself. Um, you know what I mean? Not, not, not in the physical exercise way. That was the only way where the component had fallen short. But I actually set myself this little, um, uh, okay, this is going to be really boring listeners. I really apologize. But <laughs> no, so, this, this is why people tune in. Yeah, I guess that's true. When, we're, when we do episodes, we're like, we're in person. Right. And Q&A episodes, both of which are the amazing digressions about our lives. And they're both happening at the same time, Jeff. That's right. Go. Okay. An hour on your exercise routine right uh, now. Okay. No exercise routine. That's been pathetic. Although hopefully that'll be changing up soon. But what I have done is I have a little container. It's like a little split level container with 14 little beads, like literally plastic beads in them. And I use them to portion out if I have stuff with like sugar or flour or like um, dairy. You use the beads. I use the beads. How, so the, how does that work? Well, so so like I I set myself fourteen beads, right? So let's say if I have like a cupcake, sure. for example, I'll put two beads in the from the my oh. pool to what I've used. And sure. So, so so like it's beads are equal x amount of something. Exactly. Oh, I thought you were meaning like you measured out like a beads worth of sugar. No, 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 no. Like, that would that be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. No, it's just a very simple, simple unit type thing, so that it's like because I was trying to do some so like something like pizza because it's both cheese and flour would be two beads, but normally like if I just have the cheese, it's one. So that that way. And you only go for X number of beads a day. Well, what I ended up doing was it's 14 beads for the week. So it's basically oh, two, two beads, beads a day. A day. Okay. But if I go and have like a day where I have like, like if you didn't, I go having a terrible day and you're like, we're having pizza and ice cream. You're like, exactly. fine, four beads. That's fine. I'll, exactly. just, I'll, I'll skip the beads for three days. Right. Exactly. And then the rest of the time I try and eat healthy. And it kind of works. I mean, it kind of works. But as, as we we're also talking about, you know, I would go to bed early. I would be doing lots of stress reduction stuff to, to keep myself just from exploding. And one of the things that I was sure was going to happen when I took this vacation was like, okay, I'm going to go on vacation and I'm going to get incredibly sick because this is the first time I've had any time off. Yes. You know, and weirdly it was kind of... <laughs> Knock on wood. If you're going to say anything other than I got really sick, like let's not jinx I have yet to get really sick. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I, I developed still, an amazing... still got a few days left in your trip. I know, so. and it could happen. I, I managed to get an amazing cold sore, like really stunning. 
that's been about it. Also, so. how would anyone know you? Like, well, see, that's it. No, no one in all seriousness, yeah. like you have a really bushy beard. Unless yeah, you have a cold sore, you know, right underneath your lip in the one part where there's no beard. Right. Like, yeah. No. Exactly. So no one sees it. So which is great. But it's been like I was like, it's oh. itchy, itchy as hell. Yeah. It's, it's been it's been a little rough. But by the same token, I was like, so so yeah. So the weird flip side of this is I've been on vacation, and my body is kind of like, oh. You're eating worse. You're not <laughs> doing your stress reduction stuff. You're staying up later. And so, you know, I'm I'm living badly. But then sense. your body goes, but you have read 33 issues of Werewolf by Night. Right. See? So all is forgiven. Right. How are you still alive? How are you still Jack alive? Russell waits for Nomad. Oh, my God. I have to tell you, Graham, Werewolf by Night, because I have <laughs> such fond memories of it. <laughs> Have you realized that they're all bad and The Werewolf of Night is, in fact, a terrible comic book? I haven't. I'm still holding out hope because I've only made it to volume three. I still have, How like... How many issues were there? Were there, like, 40, 41 issues of the original that's, run? That's how you know that, like, the 1970s was an amazing time for comics. Yes. Yeah. If Werewolf by Night can run for 40... Because it's probably bi-monthly as well, right? Well, this is the thing that's interesting. I think because it was a big hit at first, it started... I think it must have started out monthly and switched because it started running in 1972... Okay. It ran 43 issues, and I forget if it's like, because it was three issues of Marvel Spotlight sure, before yeah. it did its thing, so I forget how that factors into it, but it basically goes from 72 to 77 over the course of about 43 issues. So it must have been bi-monthly. At some point. It must have switched, yeah. yeah. But, and and I have to tell you, like, part of me is, like, looking at it, the the bones are all there for, like... For it to be but, like, but then the meat they put on them was like, what do we call the man who turns into a dog? Jack Russell. Okay, yes. No, admittedly, the Jack Russell is like ridiculous, and Jer- Jerry Conway supposedly swears up and down that he didn't know anything about dogs. And yeah, I know it's it's bullshit. Jerry There's so Conway. Much bullshit. You know, I, the, I will forgive you a lot. Actually, really, I, I did I tell you I reread like the the two thousands through uh, two hundreds through like two twenty of Justice League of America from the eighties. No, and it's like it's legitimately solidly good comics. I believe it. I, I, I believe, actually, I'm sort of surprised because I feel like Conway usually self-destructs at some point during He's his He's just run. before, like, at some point he disappears and, and fill-in writers come in for a long time. Uh-huh. And then he comes back and he's like, I've come up with a great idea. It's called Justice League Detroit. Um, <laughs> I know it's kind of basically everyone's like, okay, sure. <laughs> but no, there, there's like at least like a year of solid comics right. of him really like going oh I'm going to back and revisit all the, the original like Gardner Fox villains right. but doing like interesting stories with them right. so I, I will I will forgive Jerry Conway many things I, I do too. Jack Russell well Jack Russell is the name is terrible and it's and it, they would have to change it because part of me is like you're like they should make a show of it seriously it is so close to being a CW show or or any kind of Netflix because it's freeform because part of me is like it's a werewolf in Los Angeles and I don't know I I think that that would mean less in a way today than it used to. And what's funny, okay, well, there's a couple of things that are funny about it. The first thing that's amazing about Werewolf by Night is the first 16 issues plus the three issues of Marvel Spotlight are drawn by Mike Plug. Mm-hmm. So, A, it looks great. And B, he's kind of the dude who's like, Conway, for the most part, is following what Plug's laying down. Like, the plotting is very, uh, it's very loosey goosey. You know what I mean? It's very and um, 
it's very much in a way it, it a comparison would be to Wayne and Wrightson's Swamp Thing mm -hmm. in that it's I feel like that is also very a very much artist led series that also has the artist basically doing the monster takes that they want to do when they get around to doing them. Um, but Plug is, I've seen his work in other places. And of course it's kind of that classic. Of course, if you know anything about Plug, he started out as an assistant to Will Eisner, but holy shit, the, the drawing is so Eisner-ish in those first 16 issues. And it's see, really kind of lovely. Attention to yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me let me see because this is a great thing. I can actually, <laughs> like in theory, open these. Up yeah, you and have your show iPad. You. Yeah. I've got to tell you, we're both recording. We're in the same place. You have an iPad. I feel like we're doing House to Astonish cosplay, and I love it. <laughs> it's very exciting. At some point, one of us is going to have to talk about like, what about the ad placements in in digital comics? <laughs> Why don't they include the ads? And then we were 100% house yeah. astonished. There we go. Um, okay, this is going to take Je a minute. Je Jeff gonna... has, I want to tell everyone, a, uh, I'm going to say that's a golden iPad. Oh, yeah. It's it's it's, 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 a, golden, it's the right? bros gold. Bros gold. Bros? Yeah. As it, in, it, this is officially as in called colors? rose gold. Okay. But people started calling it bros gold. Because, because got it? Yeah, because the frat bros were always. The so you're telling me you're a secret bro. I'm, it's it's actually sad to me that it's, it's taking this. I know you're out. like, uh, all these things I'm learning about Jeff. Oh, it's, oh, it's 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 heartbreaking. Terrible. All right, hold on, let me see. Collection one. You know what else I'm finding out about Jeff listeners? It's that how long it takes Jeff to look something up. I know it's always long, isn't it? It's just <laughs> embarrassing. All right, let me see if I can find something that's. Everyone talk amongst themselves. No, it's much more fun to watch. Actually, this is one time where I wish there was video. Oh God! Because you're watching me. You, Damn you know, it, Graham! You know what I actually to to distract for a second? Um, I think I've said before that I like the Pod Save America podcast. Yes, they've started live streaming their recording sessions oh, on really? YouTube. Oh, and it's very strange to watch them record because you just see like three guys in front of the laptops. Yes, <laughs> Do you know what I mean. And you're like, oh, you are having conversation, but you're also literally just like looking shit up in the like right. yeah. as the other person's talking, and it's 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 odd. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like they, you're suddenly aware of people's physical spaces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But and and I honestly, as you know, I'm so bad at this that I never, never. When we do you it, normally, when I'm normally, talking, yeah, yeah. When you're in San Francisco, you're normally nude, of it, course. Exactly, exactly. Um, very and, important. And very often, mm -hmm. uh, you are. <laughs> what were you doing when we we did the last backstory building? You were doing something before we started recording, and it came through the mic. What was it? Do you remember something? And I was like, Jeff, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, that I wasn't. Can't, I can't even remember what it was, but uh, it was there was one thing you were like. I was like, Jeff, you're not even listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. What was it? I don't yes. remember. No, it was, it was at the very start. Of the I call. do remember what it was, and this is this also is sad. Graham, you are so good at humiliating me. It's like <laughs> no, you don't even to. No, yeah. no, oh, he's like, I don't even remember what no, was really, it. No, I was <laughs> refilling my pills, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> I was refilling my pills. And what I heard was the, the like the pill once they're in there, it was like rattling. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't I say something like, "Jeff, are you filling up a pill bottle?" And you're like, "I am." Yes, yes, I am. 
So look at that. Look at those look comics, page. though. Yeah, isn't that just beautiful? I mean, Here's that's the thing, just... like, I see Eisner in this page. What is it's? Uh, all I can tell you is, listeners, it's page 186 or 434. Yeah. Of what? Uh, 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 volume one, the 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 digital collection. So yeah, it's probably like, like there's Eisner in there, but they're like it's as if Eisner got inked by like Gil Kane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look. It's really, it's really strange. Actually, check out this is beautiful. The first couple of pages are hilarious for Werewolf by Night because the um story starts in what is supposed to be los angeles so look look at this and tell me how much you feel like plug really captured the spirit of 70s los angeles in in what? that caption yes that's supposed to be los angeles yeah as opposed to like a, a an eastern european exactly side? exactly what? half the time he draws these like, things like there's a factory in the background and he's in a swamp yes Yes, and that's supposed to be L.A. That's supposed to be downtown L.A. It's the best. So That's amazing. So the thing that's interesting is the first 16 issues are um, are Plug. And, uh, and Conway, or does Conway jump off? Con- Conway's there, but he's there for a surprisingly decent chunk of it. Like, he, he's there for the first nine issues. He leaves. Marv Wolfman comes in for three issues, including a Tomb of Dracula Werewolf by Night crossover. Marv Wolfman. Oh, believe me, they say it. They're like, oh, thank they you. do. They're on the the page. They're like, at last, a werewolf written by a wolf man. And I'm like, so yeah. No, but come on. <laughs> but if, the fact the credits didn't call him Marv Wol- Werewolf Man for the his entire run. Yeah, it's is, true. Is a failure on Marvel's part. Yeah, that's true. Well, they did their due diligence, Graham. You'll be happy to know. Uh, Len Wein comes in for a few issues. Of course he does. Yeah. I feel like this that's literally like the three generic Marvel ringers from the 1970s right? comics. Right? Yeah. Is it Conway? No. Is it Wolfman? No. It's probably Len Wein. Yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. Exactly. And then he leaves. Conway comes back for, I think, an issue or two. Please tell me Claremont does an issue somewhere. No, he doesn't, which oh, is shocking to It me. is shocking. Because it is. It's so totally his thing. Well, in part because he's doing the black and white stuff, as you know. But like it goes on to be uh, th- Tony Isabella. Doug, Doug Mo- oh, actually, Isabella's in here for because uh, he does the giant size chillers. Because the first appearance of Tigra, the Werewoman, is a team up with her and Werewolf by God. Night. Yeah, so that 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 issue where her with her origin with the cat people and all that gets Jeff, in there. Do you ever look at Marvel Unlimited and just like scroll through the the comics they have? Why do you ask, Grant? Because I discovered there was a Tiger miniseries in 2002 that I literally did not even know existed. Oh, by, with Mark, Mike Diodato Art? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew about that. Although, because <laughs> I, I was working in the sh- comic shop okay. at the time. I That's the only reason like, why. Yeah. Think of all, like, and it's true. Think of all these comics like you just don't, you're not even aware of. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially like at that point of Marvel. Oh, completely. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. What? I'm always shocked by it, I think, as you know. It, it, was, was, written doing by, my... it was written by Christina Z. Yes. Christina yeah. Z? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bless her. <laughs> hopefully she's gone on to better things, by which I mean, hopefully she's doing them better. Cause... Here's the thing. You're going to find out later that Christina Z is like pen name of someone really famous. Like Howard Mackey or something like that? I was, I was going to say, like, you know, I was actually going to say Devin Grayson, who is not more famous than Christina Z at all. <laughs> I think she is. I think at that time, it sort of makes sense, kind of. Christina Z, who was famous for Witchblade? I think that's right. I think she went from Witchblade over, yeah. yeah. So. a top cover. And she's not 
it's not the pen name for like Christina Marks, right? Who's still working? But yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think so. But you remember so. Christina Marks, who was doing stuff over at Marvel and Epic and stuff like that, wasn't she writing? No, because she came back recently to do DC stuff. Right? Yeah, she, she came back the, to do she something. She did the Amethyst, and then, and then right. Catwoman, maybe. Right, right, yeah. But she also did some stuff with what's the Marvel like Sisters of the Sword or something like that? Wasn't that a thing? Wasn't I, that an I Epic Comics know, thing or maybe, something? Sure. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, it sounds right, but I couldn't tell you what the series was called. Plug, Tom Sutton, and then it's Don Perlin, and and then Doug Moenge comes in. And so from... If you're thinking issue werewolf, horror comic, you think Don Perlin. You know, the thing that's really a shame, that's really weird about Don Perlin is it's clear, like this and Defenders and things like that, he's... He's, he did a hunger for that material. He it did. Just wasn't he really him. did. And he's not. He's kind of... It's interesting that Perlin is kind of... He's got some interesting taste for, like, designs. But knowing also how heavily that this is... Um, how do I put it? This is a clearly being done Marvel style. Yeah. And he's a big fan of splash pages. Like, symbolic splash pages yeah, on yeah. the first page. Um, and where Moench... Like, honestly, I love Doug Moench's stuff, but he, he at some points, he's writing sheer gibberish in here. Like, just, like, captions. Because the thing that's interesting, so people who don't know anything about Werewolf by Night, which is probably a good chunk of you, the premise, it came... He's, he's a werewolf. Right. By night. Yes. Yes. I have a very brief Jiggle question, and then yep. we can get, get back to what you're saying. Right. Has anyone ever done a story about the fact that werewolves probably really like the summer because the nights are shorter, so there's less moon? I would think you would hope. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure that Werewolf by Night, like having read it, I'm not sure they understand how night works. I mean, (laughs) it's interesting. This is the company that came up with the Hulk who turned into, like, Bruce Banner turned into the Hulk at night. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, or is it when he's angry? And you're like... Now he's in a state of mind, Stanley. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Believe or me. Or is it? Yeah. Or is it? <laughs> I mean, there's so much. One of the things that's hilarious about Werewolf by Night is is that it is the comic for people who think that Hulk comics are too intellectually taxing. <laughs> because it is. He, he turns into a werewolf by night. All the werewolf wants to do is get to the forest. That's it. He that's always it. says he's always like the the werewolf goes off to the forest. Sometimes he wants to hunt, but Wait, most so of the time, I was I never read this comics. Mm-hmm. I always thought the werewolf like was was capable of speech and thought and and like was a character. Uh, that's supposedly coming toward the end. Okay, but for the vast majority of the it's series, it's literally just like a snarling beast who wants. He's to a snarling forest. beast. One of the things. Okay, so the Thomas pitched this book and originally wanted to write it and didn't. And it was going to be called I Werewolf. And the idea was that he was going to do it where it would be not narrated in the the first person. Yeah. So they kept that. They lost Thomas. He couldn't sell um, Stan Lee on the title I Werewolf. So Stan Lee supposedly named it Werewolf by Night. Mail courier by day, you know. As opposed to the other werewolves, right? Who were just yeah. So anyway, werewolf by night. It keeps the first person narration in uh, an in, in panel format. And sure. one of the things that is interesting and also a disappointing contrast is I'm coming to all this 
right after leaving Master of Kung Fu, mm -hmm. which is in many ways... Kung Fu by night. It is. And werewolf by day. So is that it also uses first-person narrative caption balloons. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also written by Dirk Munch. Right. Exactly. And the thing that's interesting is by the time you get Munch on Master of Kung Fu... Um, Did that... Was that published after Werewolf by Night? No. I think mm -hmm. it, it probably... It may yeah, have, because the the, there's a little bit of overlap. I, I think we would have checked Wikipedia. I believe Werewolf by Night 72, but Munch doesn't come in until like issue 20 or 21. Okay. Um, Master guess, of Kung Fu starts around 73, uh -huh. but again, I don't think Munch comes in until after the first year. So I guess what I'm asking is, did Munch basically serve as apprenticeship from Werewolf by Night and then move on to Master of Kung Fu? I don't really know. I would have to look it up on his bibliography, but what, what doesn't intrigue me <clears throat> is knowing that he does it all the way through to the end of the book, which is 77, mm -hmm. uh, is is that he uses Shang-Chi's first character, uh, first person narrative captions, not only to explain what's happening, but because it's got that faux poetic or even genuinely poetic, if you, if you want to be generous, I guess, uh, approach to the character's thoughts. Um, Shang-Chi really feels like a character. Jack, Jack Russell, apart from being named after a dog, part of the problem is, is his his narrative captions are so frequently just explaining shit like i left the room right you know it's like what i didn't know until later that buck cohen would have to explain to me was that the whole time that i was fleeing into the woods lisa was having a showdown with the sheriff kind of thing what was jack russell's job is that part of the book or like is he, is he like a reporter or something? No, and this is this is again part of the reason why I think this might be kind of a, a decent show is like you could kind of do it as the OC meets basically a horror show because Jack Russell is a young, good-looking teenager who turns eighteen. He is in a, a basically his family is rich. He. He doesn't like his stepfather and his stepfather is clearly up to something. And what happens is the mother dies in a rigged car accident and Jack believes that his stepfather is responsible. Oh my God, this is a CW show. Exactly. But he promises to his mother, his mother makes him promise that he will not harm the stepdad. Okay. And so... Of course, at the end of the first issue or so, he's got the stepfather. He's in the werewolf form, and he's got him, like, about to kill him. And, and then, then he, he remembers. Yes, and flees. How does he become a, a werewolf? Another weird, interesting thing about this, it's a family curse. His father, his real father, was also a werewolf, and his real name was Rusov, and was a European scholar, who we later find out two or three issues later was a European warlock. Now, the, the great thing about the Marvel Universe, I love your face. Yeah, the face is we, just like, we, we can no, Yeah, we can never do this no, uh, on Skype. But no. right now, I'm literally giving Jeff, I think it's fair to say stink eye. Stink eye. Stink eye, or, or at the very least, some serious side eye, I think. That that looked uh, pretty side eye -y. So, the Darkhold. You know that from... I, it's I, a, yes. Everyone, it actually premieres here. <laughs> That everyone, everyone, everyone knows people, no dark hole. People might not know what the dark hole is. I know, but you jumped in, and so I couldn't explain it. So, you know, it's going to be a mystery forever, Graham. 
Jeffrey Lester, please explain the dark hold the, for our listeners. The dark hold, I'm so glad you asked, Graham, and forgot what it was, is, of course, a mystical text that's one of the primo dark Necronomicon like books in the Marvel Universe. It gets what introduced. Are they holding? What's that? What are they holding? The Golden Girls? What? What, what are they holding? Yeah. Dark mean? hold. What are they holding? Oh, it's holding back the dark, is what it is. It's like Spider-Man. Really? Yeah. No. No, I don't know. It's called the Dark Hold. Oh my God, Graham! I can't believe you're going to fixate on that part. Anyway, <laughs> you just said you just said. I was thinking they might actually explain it. it it's always bothered me. The texts are dark texts, and they're held in place by a book because they were actually a series of scrolls that 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 then had to be bound and sealed. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, Graham. You don't want to hear my answers. It's totally okay. So anyway, Jack's dad by dint of... Actually, I don't... Because there's some confusion at one point where there's a flashback to 1795. At some point, it's a family curse that upon turning 18, they become a werewolf. And Jack has a younger sister who's younger than him by about a year. So... He's she's, turning she's into a, a werewolf. She's a year away from turning into a werewolf. Exactly. Exactly. Is and her name Jill Russell? No. It's Lisa Russell, although my secret theory is it's pronounced Lissa because it's L-I-S-S-A. And sure, so I'm right. thinking maybe it's short. I would say Lissa is short for Melissa. Or yeah, exactly. Which I, you know, my new theory. It's not, I don't think it's ever spelled out anyway. I love it. My theory is something that's literally meaningless. Even within the pages of Werewolf. Let me tell you, if you think that that might be a tip-off as to how exciting these Werewolf by Night comics are, that I managed to develop an overarching theory about what Jack's sister's name might be short for, yeah, that's probably accurate. The other thing that's interesting is uh, very early on, Jack meets older seasoned writer Buck Cohen, who's actually like you researching a piece. No, 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 no. Oh, wow. Buck Cohen is an important piece in the story because he's well, like this. that sort of name. Yeah, he totally is. And I have to say, honestly, it's a shame that I don't have the patience and no one else cares about Werewolf by Night because there is so much shipping subtext between Jack and Buck. I'm holding up my hand, listeners. Again, you can't see this. Jeff. Yes. Um, your new mission, your mission yeah. is to get screen grabs of this for the way we Tumblr. Okay. Yes, I agree. Okay. I will. I will. So is there's amazing gay subtext going on with uh, Jack and Buck Cohen. Like, because Buck ends up, because what happens is, of He's course. Buck Cohen. I mean, that. I know. And it just goes from there. Lots of scenes of like Jack showing up like disheveled and shirtless being like, Buck, you've got to help me. I've got no one else to turn to. Of course, buddy, you can stay with me as long as you need that kind of thing. And so it's lots of them being like, you know, it's just sort of that, that traditional Stanley hyperbole of, you know, they meet in one issue and by the next issue, they're basically best friends. Yeah. And, well, but they're saying things like, Buck, you know me better than anyone. And I'm like, it's only been one issue. And he's seen you shirtless like five times. You've known him for literally a day. Yeah. Also, Al Ewing, if you're still listening to this podcast, please put Buck Cohen, if he is still alive, and I'm sure no one has killed him off, please put him in your new Hulk run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that would be great. It would be great. I really want Buck Cohen to make a comeback. 
Do you did you see the latest you are Deadpool? I didn't want to reveal the joke in it, but someone revealed the joke to you? No. Okay. So your Deadpool, as you know, yeah, yeah, is the choose yeah, your own yeah, adventure, yeah. but it's also time travel stuff. And each era each issue is a different era. Yes. Wait, did you literally just say I don't want to reveal the joke and now you're about to reveal the joke to me? Yeah, because I didn't want to reveal it days ago, but you never responded to that tweet, so I'm going to reveal it now. I didn't even see that tweet, so okay. Uh, go, anyway, go. Uh, no, no, no. You know what I realized? I can just show it to you. This is the this is okay. the best part. So, listeners, you're you're in for one boring podcast. It's going to be lots of me no. being like, look at this, and you're like, oh my god, I can't also, believe that. I swear to God, we're going to get to the questions really soon. Yeah, because we have been doing this for half an hour and we haven't gotten to the questions. Absolutely, absolutely. Jeff, you're going to show me this, and then I'm going to ask you a question because the first question is is from Eric, and he's asking you all about manga. Oh my god, right? Okay, so I, am get, I in the wrong issue? I am in wait, the wrong issue. Wait until you find this. Again, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff is looking up something on his iPad, and it is, it's stunning. I can't, because Jeff is across the table, I actually can't see what he's doing on the screen. But right now, I perfectly believe that he's just running his finger across the screen. Well, because, because, no. Don't, don't even explain it. Just let, let's go. Oh my God, you are the worst. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you this page, which is the Josie's Bar Fight Rampage minigame, Right. Where Deadpool comes in and either through the window, the main door, he tries sneaking in the back. Depending on the choices that you make or your combat resolutions, you end up in one of several different places. Okay. At a certain point, he basically takes a detour and decides to end up on the can. Sure. If you go and choose that option, and of course <laughs> one of the great things is, of course, at a certain point you play through it. Um, there you go. And then, then you've got to swipe, of course, to get each... Oh my god. Yes. It's so uh, Okay, so Deadpool... Do you want to reveal this one or no? Because of course it's that classic. Oh shit. Yeah. So yeah, so uh listeners, uh, also this comic is not just like moving forward by itself, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> no, I did that. Um, <laughs> but it like was popping off in front of me, like, what were you even doing? Jeff has magic part, like he's mentally controlling his iPad, like like it's a fucking green lantern ring. <laughs> um, the Beyonder shows up in to, for Deadpool can teach him how to take a shit. Yeah, and he actually says, "Thanks to you, I now know how to do a poo." <laughs> Oh, wow. I figured you'd be so delighted to oh, see the amazing wow. Beyonder learning you know, you to know, poo. You know what Shout I'm excited about, though? What? Beyonder has, like, messy hair, but it's not Michael Jackson hair. Well, yeah, that's true. It's not not Michael yeah. Jackson hair. In that. And that's... that's. And he's that's, also wearing his battle armor instead of his is. Michael Jackson suit. So. Well, he shouldn't be wearing a Michael Jackson suit anyway. Because when uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man taught him how to poo, he was still blonde and looking like Captain America. Oh, right, because he looked like Steve Rogers. Oh, Eric Group asks, Jeff, did Jeff ever finish reading the manga? Fuka. Uh, is, it, is it a two-part question? Or it's, no? a, it's like a four-part question. Oh, okay. We're, we're, we're starting with that. Yeah. Uh, no, I. Tr- uh, there was a super long period, Eric, where my Crunchyroll app was not working on my iPad. And you just quit? Yeah. And then I finally rechecked it about five months ago. I think, and suddenly it was working again. They'd updated the app and I could again read manga on it. But by that point, I had fallen so behind on everything. That you just stopped? I, I, really? I'll, I'll come back to it. Okay. I'll come back to it, but I have not. But Fuka is the one that I think would be the hardest for me to come back to because, Grandma, I don't know if you remember, but that was the 
guy who falls in love with the girl and they goes they go on to form a band together and will they or won't they and then it turns out that after they confess their love to each other she dies and then he's like uh and then meets another woman named Fuka who's also a musician but a totally different type of musician and at that point I was like and there was ghost Fuka. Like it really felt like they were doing everything this, in their power. This, to keep this, this makes thing me uh, really excited about part three of this question. Oh, Let's good. get through part okay. two. Part two is: Did he watch the anime? I didn't. I I don't watch a lot of anime, which is I, kind I, of shame. Considering it's a musical, it sounds like I'd be super curious about the, the anime because obviously, if they were in a band, you'd get to hear the band, right? Which I don't necessarily think is a plus. <clears throat> I know that it's something that people work enjoy but i remember very specifically brian lee o'malley talking about this because he was a huge fan of beck mongolian chop squad uh, the anime the the manga and then when he saw the anime of course he was like you know and then the band plays and it's just sort of terrible j-pop that's, that's crap true. Yeah. right you know question number three or point number three of this question yes would you be interested in reading fuka the official erotic short story collection in full color yes <laughs> he then said, seriously, check out the attachment. There's an attachment to this email. You clearly have to check it out. I clearly will. It, it's a PDF. You really should check it out. Oh, my God. Also, is Jeff still reading Prison School? Oh. It seems like a very Jeff comic, and I'm curious about his opinions on the series. I loved issue one, or volume one, as everyone knows, and I bought volume two and was saving it for a rainy day and still haven't broken it out. Honestly, the thing that is super appalling is I've gone, Graham, even in the last four months, I've gone so much further in the direction of reading digitally. Like um, like all this Werewolf by Night stuff. It's, yeah. I, I bought the Omnibus. I have the Omnibus on my shelf. The, everyone, you should see, if only you could have caught that look from Graham. Because that... Wait, when did you buy the Omnibus? I don't know, like six months ago or something? Long before I had these digitally. And I even I mean, sat down I, and started reading them. And How much was the Omnibus? Uh, it was... it was. It's probably like $125, right? No, no, but it was not cheap. It was definitely $100. like, oh, I'm going to treat myself. But I think it might have been like 70 bucks on Amazon or something like that. And I know everyone is looking so what's, what's great is flashback to when we were talking about these digital werewolf by night collections, because oh. I bought the first two during those crazy Marvel sales. So I got them for like 81 cents. Yeah, each. exactly. Which was part of why I was like, okay, I'll get them. Even though I already have the omnibus. But then as we were saying before, you got the third one for full price. And I was like, of course you can get the third one for full yep. price. You've got the other two for your own size. Not realizing you've spent $70 on the same material before. Probably, yeah. I think $70 sounds about right, yeah. No, I know. it's oh, Which is not Jeff. great. I know. Well, but, so, so you also, listeners, we should know that when we were getting ice cream, Jeff and I were talking about the fact that I don't spend money on myself, and you do. Yes. And you were like, yeah, you'd like it. that's just what I do. Jeff. <laughs> Yes. Ah, see, the dogs are upset. Ah. They are. They are. They're clearly. They, they're feeding off of your distress. They are feeding off my distress. Yeah. I, I'm really disappointed. Yeah. I. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm disappointed. You know, I'm not going to make that face again. Yeah. He's, he's got his phone, his phone up. I'm not going to make it because I'm, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find where my <laughs> werewolf by night omnibus. Were. Oh, okay, it was fifty bucks, Graham. It was fifty. Only fifty dollars. Yeah, it was only fifty dollars. Well, so but this is how I found out because I actually there's a number of omnibi that I have bought from Marvel, 
Werewolf by Night and the Master of Kung Fu ones. And one of the things that I found is is that I just, I, I just don't like reading big, heavy, well, printed fair, volumes. Like, They're kind of cool. A, if but it's an omnibus. Yeah. Like, they are almost off-putting. Yeah. Because you're like, I-, I can read this and my legs will feel crushed after. Exactly. No, you know, and they do. An they are. They're big. But well, so... So that's the thing that I think I, I actually am worried that... But, and, but your manga is digital, right? Yeah, most of my manga, except, weirdly enough, I bought Prison School Volumes 1 and oh. 2 in print. So that's part of the, the Volume 2 sitting there on the shelf. But it's actually, like, one of the things that I bought this week while here in Portland checking out the comic book shops is the Devilman collection, mm-hmm. which looked gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But even as I was buying this, I'm like, am I really going to read this? Because it's in print. Like, if I was able to buy it digitally, I know that I would have been like 200 pages into that already. How much did you pay for this book that you don't, even as you were buying it, you think you're not going to read? I didn't say that I was going to read it. I said chances were $30. Next time, just give me the money. <laughs> okay. Not, Graham, it's not that fun. Because you won't do anything fun with it. I don't care. Just give me the money. <laughs> no. No, I refuse. You give me the money. How about that? <laughs> you give me the money. Well, first off, clearly I'm a lack. But secondly, you're, you're not good at spending money on yourself. Uh, it's true. It's I'm true. very good at spending money on everyone. Uh, Eric, I, I could do a great job for you, Graham. Eric is, Eric is still asking questions. Any thoughts on the current state of the drug markets and its potential future? Doom and gloom, rainbows and sunshines, somewhere in between? You know... Okay. Yes, you I, have something. I will. I do. I, you'll remember from most of this year being like, this is going to be a terrible year. Right. This is going to be a terrible year for the drug market. This is going to be appalling. Things are going to go wrong. We're now midway through the year. Yep. And I'm hearing from a number of retailers that I am 100% wrong. That's right. And they're doing much better than they expected. Yep. And, and with some of the Marvel stuff, too. The Marvel stuff has really popped back. Yeah. Like really popped back. Yeah. If you look at just the last month's mm-hmm. uh, sales charts. Right. Like, Marvel is, like, 15 places at the top 20. Wow. It's it's amazing their bounce back. Yeah. And there's stuff that is actually popping from Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm now at the point of going, I guess it's somewhere in between. Like, I, I guess the drug market is much healthier than you thought it was. You know, the thing that I think is kind of interesting, by contrast with this, is the piece that was on uh, the beat that I think was, once again, a link to maybe uh, a Joshua Jackson Miller chart mm-hmm. that talked about essentially the size of the direct market having been basically being the same for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And... Some people are like, oh, that's a very good sign. And other people are like, oh, that's, that's a very bad sign. It is yeah. the, like the trade market is the Rorschach test yeah. of, of anyone. Did it, we come back to the thing that we talk about a lot, which is everyone who's like, ah, kill the drag market can never come up with like a workable alternative. They're always like, kill the drag market and everything will be fine as opposed to right. there will be calamity because there will be nothing to replace it. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is, is that we sometimes I feel like... And I don't know how to make this happen, but honestly, we need a supplement to the, uh, what basically I want to say a supplement to the direct market within the direct market. In other words, I feel like if you look at say bookstore growth, if you look at library growth, mm-hmm. if you look at digital, mm-hmm. it's one could say that there is a variety of, um, of supplements to the direct market. Uh, in that sense. But what I mean is, is that the direct market 
in and of itself is apparently something that has sustained. I think it's, I think that there's been a lot of burnoff between 1998 and 2018 mm -hmm. that we haven't seen because it's hidden behind basically the amount of variant covers. Like if you talk about the number of sales, yeah. I really think that people actively stayed away like after 98 and it had a tank even 2008, but now in 2018, the amount of variants that are being used to prop up everything for Marvel and DC. I would rather that we see a supplement that is some sort of basically sales and marketing outreach. And honestly, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that that one of the things that really struck stuck with me from like, I don't remember if it was our last podcast or the podcast before, but you hit something that I basically sort of um, just sort of skimmed over because it aligned too closely to something I've always believed. But you talked about the idea of comics literacy, you know, mm -hmm. the idea that comics are not reading comics are a skill and not everyone has it, you know? And I honestly think that the best thing that DC and Marvel could do is some serious outreach that is more or less teaching people how to read comics, you know? Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't know what that would entail. To me, it's basically that they <clears throat> would do things like reprint, Silver Age, Superman, and Wonder Woman stuff, and more or less give it away for free at well, schools or charge it nearly nothing. Like, what about things like the DC Zoom and DC Ink books, which are intended for young readers, or Squirrel Girl, or the mm -hmm. Marvel Rising books? Yeah. Like, does that not fulfill some level of it? I mean, we assume that as part of that, there will be, I don't want to say simplified comics mm -hmm. in there, but like something that will help train younger readers to understand the comic medium. Well, and I think, honestly, I think that, yes. And I think the great thing about kids is the sort of, as you learn it, you, you know, you just, the part of the skill is just literally being able to read the information sure. on the page, sure. page in and page out. Yeah. So you don't really have to get something too sophisticated or newfangled. I agree that that's there. And I hope that there will be some more stepping stones to get people from that. Cause I am kind of curious where the kids that are reading squirrel girl today, what are they, what do you end up, where do you go from there? What do you read in five years? Do you read, it's like squirrel girl to Ms. Marvel to question mark. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. There, there, there's a, a there's no feeder right. market really. Yeah. Like there, there's, you know, you start off with like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and Squirrel mm -hmm. Girl. Mm -hmm. And then where do you go? Like maybe Ms. Marvel, mm -hmm. maybe Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Yeah. Maybe. You know? Yeah. And then. Then what? Venom? Oof. You, yeah. yeah. You do. You jump straight to Venom. Yeah. Exactly. Punisher. You're as, like, as we all do. The Punisher. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to read some Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is exactly what I want to read. Exactly. I don't know. I mean. Brings like, back it, the Squirrel Girl-esque But at the same time, like, you know, is Spider-Man the next stage of the book? The next book, you know, because Spider Man should be. I like, used to, yeah. Spider Man, in all seriousness, should be a book for. I don't want to say younger readers, because when I say younger readers, I'm really talking about like teenagers and up. Mm -hmm. But but it should be like the idea that Spider Man is a book that is aimed at 
like 30 somethings is nuts yeah no i know i i agree and, and yeah, so like superman for that matter right superman should not like should not be about the same as 13 year olds but clearly is yeah at this point. but but you've like you've done something wrong well and i think you know this is I mean? this is almost where the the whole to me the whole ultimates idea made sense of like you break the line in twain and you've got like the all ages except that's not what the ultimates were i mean when DC had its line that was tied closely to the animated stuff and you had like Batman, the animated mm-hmm. series and stuff like that, it seemed like there was a pretty decent, it was just too small, but there was an okay feeder line of, of good all ages comics that, that people yeah. could read. But uh, one of the other things that you and I were talking about a little bit today was you were talking about reading um, some of those amazing girls comic reprints that 2000 AD and Titan are putting out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the 70s, the British comics industry, which you compared to manga, like, they they basically had audiences. Yeah. And they had feeder lines yeah. for yeah. where they thought something was going to go yeah. once it went to something else. Yeah. And it's just shocking to me that Marvel and DC, who've been publishing superhero comics for 50 fucking years. Marvel DC's been like about 80 years right, old. Right, right, exactly. There's no, there's no feeder line for it. You know it what I mean? There's no through there line. There used to be. Yeah. I, That's just that, like... Well, I guess. Well, more, more than there is now. I, I mean... Do you not think, like, in the 70s... I feel like in the 70s and 80s there was. And when I say 80s, I'm really meaning, like, up to Crisis, which is when D- DC decided to try and be Marvel. I don't know. I mean, because I, I, I feel that DC for a long time... In the 60s, they had a very clear sense of what their market was. They also didn't really think that the market was for adults at all. So sure. it, it all it went, kind of... It went through, it went through like teens. Yeah, and then yeah. that was it, yeah. you know? And so the idea that the... I learned things better. <laughs> you know, honestly, I do love some Silver Age DC stuff. That's what I'm saying. I know, I know. But, and this is, this is what I want, in a way, is I would sort of like it if you could kind of get that stepping stone but sort of process what, what's funny is you see things one of the things i've read recently was the the um, collection of mariko tamaki and joel jones supergirl being super right which is a great aimed at its teens superhero story right but it's it was a four issue prestige format miniseries right like what the point what the fuck is the point I mean, of that and, you know now it's going to be a collection and sure. that's great. and that's why and right? that's probably what they were doing but at the same yeah. time well it isn't it isn't i mean i want to say there's like a year between publication and, and collection which is like used to be the dc norm but it's now actually long like it's it's now closer to three months to six mm. um but you know it it's it was per it is the perfect material for an audience that dc is not serving mm-hmm. but in a format that appeals to people that were twenty years old. Well, I would for, say for I would, I would say is is that no, nobody at DC thought that kids were going to buy those issues as they were coming out. They were going to be buying sure. the trade. Sure. So the I, the goal is how do you get it in a format that pays for sure the, the cost of serialization, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So so you end up doing it in prestige format. But like the same thing of, of the Dead Man, what was it called? 
Tales of the Forbidden Mansion, Dark Tales of the Forbidden Mansion, Forbidden Tales of the Dark Mansion, whatever that miniseries was, uh-huh. from around the same time, mm-hmm. which again was a prestige format series, mm-hmm. was like gothic romance of like a genre that DC Marvel just don't fucking do. Yeah. Again, perfectly strong material could appeal to a different audience. Yeah. Published in a format that they wouldn't pick up. Because I think they're, I think they're building stuff for, again for the backlist. For the backlist, yeah, yeah, and that's and in some ways that is that's something I guess, but it's it drives me crazy, crazy that you see the success of something like Lumberjanes and Marvel and DC are just like sitting on their hands, or I mean, to the extent that they're doing something. You know, one of the things to bring it back to Werewolf by Night, because it's all about Werewolf by Night, is that it's it's a 70s horror comic. And unlike most of what I was used to seeing from like, I don't know, Son of Satan or some of the other Marvel stuff where it's kind of like they're superheroes, but not like, you know, or even the master of Kung Fu stuff. It's like, here's this, you know, here's a scene where he's duking it out with Iron Man, you know. Yeah. Doesn't really seem to make any sense. Actually, Iron Man, I think, pops up in the last four or five issues of Werewolf <laughs> by Night as well. But so does Moon Knight. Yeah. But for the most part, the other thing that's comical about Werewolf by Night is how inept the werewolf is. Like, he basically gets his ass kicked by just, like, regular dudes. Or, like, you know, like, really strong people. Like, I swear to God, half of his fights. he get, The werewolf. He's a werewolf. And he gets his ha- ass handed to him by, like, a chauffeur. Like an issue too, and I'm like, how are you gonna? Don't you come here with your anti-chauffeur bullshit? Well, let's face it, chauffeurs are—they spend most of the time behind the wheel. It's just—it's not like it used to be, Graham. Also, here's a question: How does this even vaguely tie in with what we were talking about two seconds ago? Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> it ties in because oh shit. Uh, the idea is is that they they didn't they were set. It was very some of the books were not separated at all from the Marvel universe and from the Marvel, uh, other Marvel characters and others took place in the same universe, but you just never saw them. Sure. One of the things that actually does work about werewolf by night is, is that they create new villains for it. And it's not like, you know, apart from Dracula and tomb of Dracula, it's not like, Oh, here comes, here comes Dr. Strange. Like, Oh shit, Captain America is here to see his friend who happens yeah, to be yeah, just yeah. Jack Russell's next victim. You know. And that so would be a great story. It's probably in there, God help us. It, I I think that one of the things that's a little frustrating about Squirrel Girl is fantastic, you know, and Devil Dinosaur is clearly a hit among the the audience that they want it to. But it's also still, it's still sort of tied to. Oh, it's, it's very much tied to to the rest of the Marvel to the rest yeah. of the superhero universe, yeah. and to to the point where you know once you get Miss Marvel and she's a huge hit, suddenly she's in nine other books, which is a great way to dilute your brand. But again, I guess what I'm saying is, is part of me is like all of these things are meant to siphon into the Marvel universe rather than to siphon to other books that that those characters like if you're in a comic book store, you can be like, Oh, I like squirrel girl. Now I'll go on to lumberjanes, you know, 
it's really it's absurd to me the fact that that you can't you've got three marvel books and then like you said where do you go and for that matter marvel and dc they should have people on staff who are thinking about actively thinking about this stuff and dc who seems to be the ones who are putting the most thought into it are still kind of doing like you said it's like well they've got different imprints you know but i think which hopefully will work if they support the imprint long enough and it's not just like Minx 2. Did I tell you I just I found the Minx sampler? Oh no. I have the, I have this I found the sampler for the second year of Minx. Wow. And it's nuts because you look at it and you're like, Jesus Christ. Like Sophie Campbell's in there. Right. Mariko Tamaki's in there. Like it must be Mariko Tamaki's first comic. Right. Right. Um who who else? There's one other great artist in there, and I was like, Jesus Christ! Like these, these are big names now. These like these are recognizable right. names. Right. These are and people like, that were like, going to blow up big. Mings had them, and then Folk yeah. of Light. Yeah. yeah. Joel Jones is in there. Oh God! Of course. Right. Right. And then you're like, of course they are, because yeah. that, of course that, that's where they were at mm-hmm. whenever Mings was ten years ago, probably. I think longer than that. It feels like. But, it's you know, they're, they're just Sunny Lou is it does right. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and you're just like, they yeah. just they just followed it. Yeah. It's a, uh, um, Eric asks as well. We have two more Eric questions. Okay. Um, does the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the failure of basically every other attempt say anything in particular about doing a shared universe outside of comics and the direct market? I'm going to say no. <clears throat> I'm also going to say no. Um, but do you have... I've got a reason why I think Marvel Cinematic Universe works and the other ones don't. I, I can think of two things from that. One is Marvel was first. Two, Marvel does better movies. And three, Star Wars does it too when it's a success. It's not It's not as simple as there is only one successful shared universe of movies. Well, Star Wars is still kind of finding its footing, I think. You, you wait until you've seen Solo, friend. Right. Well, but yes. So, um, yeah, it, it's, so, but yeah, I'd push back. I honestly think that like, I think the fact that Marvel was first and I think the fact that Marvel movies are generally better, quote unquote, which is more palatable to the audience. See, whereas, and I think the secret to it being better, quote unquote, is, is that, and this sounds ridiculous considering how much the Marvel stuff feels like, it's someone just revising the same screenplay over template and over, again, yeah. over and over again, is I think that one of the things is, <coughs> bless you, Marvel built their uh, studio from the ground up. You know, they, they actually put their properties out there as uh, collateral for their loans, borrowed a huge chunk of money, but the number of people involved in Marvel Studios was actually very small. And in fact, what's amazing is in a way, uh, it's gotten smaller once um, once yeah, Kevin Feig cut. Once they basically pushed everyone outside. Once yeah. Kevin Feige, well, that's just it. If, you, if all the other studios had a Kevin Feige. Yeah. Like that, that's what you need. You essentially need a benevolent dictator. Well, you need a benevolent dictator. And one of the things is, is studios are not set up that way. Studios, even under in in the case of Warner Brothers, you've got all these different producers and production deals. Yep. And honestly, those people will fuck one another over. And well, that's I mean, the, the whole thing is uh, everyone else talks about you know 
everyone just needs a Kevin Feige. Yeah. But they do. Because he is the one decision maker. Yeah. Over all the films. Exactly. And Warner Brothers, in in what is, in theory, a good idea, but in practice a terrible one, yep. said, oh, we're going to differentiate ourselves by being the studio where filmmakers can come and make their own individual statements. Yeah. Which is literally the opposite of what appeals to the audience. Yeah. It's the opposite of what appeals to the audience, but you also just get situations where... Um, when things test badly, when things go badly, you basically have too many resources. You have all sorts of people who are jockeying to like, oh, let me solve this problem for you. Or, oh, here's what you need to do. Like, I mean, one of the things that's a real frustration to varying degrees is the amount that both Justice League and Suicide Squad suffer from clearly a lot of... After the fact, filming. Yeah, yeah, after shooting and after editing, and there's there's too much second guessing, mm-hmm. and and it's kind of like we're not going. We need to have this be a hit, and we're not actually going to commit to the vision that we committed to at mm-hmm. the beginning. Yeah. And and I think that that is it hurts the films. It does, which, which is what ultimately sinks the brand. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. So yeah, you need to have better films. The way you get. "Quote unquote," quote again, better films. Yeah, is by having someone who's just going to be stubborn and go, "No, this is what our movies are." Yeah, no, this is what mm-hmm. our movies are. And you hear behind the scenes stuff that there were periods where Marvel was shitting themselves over trying to um, both the original Guardians and Ant Man, where they were worried that they were diverting from their brand too much. Which is hilarious when you look at those films. Yeah, like oh, right, like that's diverting from your brand, right. Yeah, like and no, but it's true. I, I I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, the 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 buzz again, quote unquote, has started in Captain Marvel, mm. and they're like, "This is a film that's going to blow away superhero filmmaking. No one's ever done anything like this before. This is the most revolutionary." And because it's coming from Marvel, you're like, "So it's literally just going to be a film where like a woman will say something, right?" You know, yeah. because for you, that is the most revolutionary thing. Yeah. But like to anyone who's seen any other film ever right they'll be like whatever well and so and that is the flip side to it one of the things that i think is interesting is is that marvel marvel built a brand but they also were kind of conservative with their brand and they they really did wait it was relatively far in until they took even sort of limited gambles you know well that's just like black panther was the 19th marvel movie yeah right the 19th yeah yeah, exactly. And that really shows, and honestly, I think that if Guardians hadn't been a hit, I don't, I don't oh, yeah, know if we would have even seen it. You no, know we, what I mean? We definitely would. Yeah. yeah. So, no, 100%. So, I, I, I think that there is a, a Marvel has a, a strong cascading effect, but it also helps that it's got that focus. I think you can see that, but I don't think, I mean, no, I, I just can't believe that anyone who signed to develop, say, that Universal Studios dark universe yeah the dark universe i'm like you guys have got to be kidding me there's just no way that that's going to come together I think. yeah that's just you it know? like everything else just feels yeah. weirdly forced yeah you know so uh last question from eric uh for just some general podcast stuff any chance of reading and discussing the jim lee wildstone fantastic four run given the discussion you guys had about the retroness of fantastic four and image at the end of the last backstory building you brought this up yeah, I think I did. I yes. I feel like other people did, but you, yes, you, you and I yeah. talked about this. Yeah, uh, after the recording of the last Baxter mm-hmm. building, 
for for this very reason, for yeah. for me complaining about the retroness, and you right. were like, I'm I'm really curious about the, the oh yes, that's true. I I am, and we I, we've heard it from enough people that I do sometimes wonder if like after we wrap the first four sixteen, like we spend like another six months or a year, and just cherry pick what we want to read from the rest of the FF. Including stuff like that. Let's wait and see how we I know, feel. I know. Part of me I also thinks that's that is crazy because I kind of also have that feeling of I like I weirdly like the purity of just like leaving it in time. No, that time. Oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I have to get it. Yeah. Uh, Matthew M asks, "What series do you find surprising that it lasted as long as it did?" He mentioned hilariously the 1980s Starbine. The Roger Ceremony, which sure enough went on for like almost five years. Did it really? Yeah. No, almost four years. It ends at like 44. Wow. Wow. 45? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm trying to think. If there's... There's, there's, there's there's a bunch though. Like if you yeah. look back at like anything that was published basically from like late 80s yeah. to early 90s. Right. And you're like, I remember that long. It's like how many issues did Speedball go? Because if Speedball went anywhere than six issues, that series ran too long. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. But there was, like, Power of the Atom lasted, like, 18 issues. No. It did. Did it? Yeah, the Roger Stern book. Oh, Power, of the, Power of the Atom. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was saying Sword of the Atom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, right. Exactly. I don't know. Um, I think, well, let's see. Here. Oh, shit. I don't, I don't have access to your guys' web, to your Wi-Fi. Because um, part of me is like. I was just going to tell you this. I was like, wait, it's not fun. No, I'm not going to tell everyone. Yeah, don't, like, don't. Yeah, exactly. Uh <laughs> You know, because part of me is like, I think it'd be curious to sort of talk about like what's still being published now that's kind of surprising because I don't know if there is. I feel like, again, sort of like Werewolf by it, Night. It, it, what's, I, honestly, what's surprising now is this and like literally certain members of our audience will get upset. I cannot believe we're still having Transformers comics. It's oh. stunning to me mm. that like Transformers, and for that matter, G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. like have survived. Hmm. Like it's, it's, of all the toys, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that GI Joe, like the, they brought back Larry Hama series. Yeah, and that's the revival has lasted more than a hundred issues. That doesn't. I don't think that, that necessarily issues. surprises me though, because I think part of me, part of me is, is that I think that there is a. I mean, there's a very if you hit a fan base. Yeah, there's a fan base. There's a nostalgia factor, and if you get a certain degree of of quality, which I think that Larry Hama actually can deliver, then then you're I like, okay, this yeah, is going to just... be good enough. But I don't know. You know, it's it's actually a good question. I feel I feel like licensed comics are always surprising to me that they're around as long as they do. I would love to take this answer and like talk about stuff where I am shocked that there's like there was forty plus issues of Werewolf by Night or a hundred plus issues of Master of Kung Fu. The fact that there were so many goddamn issues of ROM Space Night, like there was some amazing stuff that really did flourish. I think it would be interesting to look at stuff that's been published in the last, like, you know, almost like the Transformers stuff, like stuff that's you in know the what? last Actually, 10 last 15 last years. far longer, and it's surprising almost because everything else died. Hmm. Like DB7. Oh, the yeah. New Universe Center. Right. I want to say that it lasted the rest of the New Universe. Yeah, that makes sense to me, though. Because honestly, DP7 was... Like, that was... That was the one original book. I mean, quote, unquote, everything else was original. But, like, that was the one that seemed to do something different than... You know, Starbrand is Green Lantern. Well, yeah, but... You know, and, and But, see, that's the thing. To me, I think that DP7, part of why it lasted as long as it did, was A, 
It's it runs off the X. It's the X Men or the Doom Patrol and DP Seven. Oh, nice. Right, right. So, right, Doom Patrol Seven or yeah, but it's also, um, it was the only book that basically had a consistent creative team <laughs> for the I, book. I, of I didn't, I didn't get like horrifically right columns when right. like this isn't selling shit exactly so i i feel like i feel like grunwald really had something that he wanted to do with that book and and it kept running as a result but i remember as a as a kid by which i mean like a older teenager or young adult like you could pick up all the new universe books but it became really clear like if you read any of them for longer than two or three months like dp7 was the only book where it felt like the person was going somewhere. You know? I, I've got a, a contemporary one. In fact, the Red Hood and the Outlaws is still running. Yeah, that's actually kind of surprising, isn't like, it? Like, how did Scott Lobdell manage to... He must be blackmailing someone. How did the, how has that comic managed to survive, like, through numerous reboots, sure, and numerous retitlings, but it's it's actually been going since the launch of the New 52 seven years ago. Yeah. That's amazing. I How did that title become one of the mainstays of the DCU? Uh, that's a really good question, and I don't follow the book closely enough. I would say, I would say that Red Hood. It ha- I think, I think there's people within DC that are fond of Red Hood as a there's, character. There's a, there's a fan. There's definitely a fan of the Red Hood. A lot, a lot of people talk about. Um, yeah, was it behind the Red Hood, beneath the Red Hood. Yeah, yeah, behind the hood, or yeah, no, wait, yeah, something, whatever yeah. that is, like as uh-huh. being like a, a key Batman story. Yep. Yeah, 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 like a core text yeah. of the character, right? Which is staggering to me. Well, but but I I think a it's generational and b like I think it really speaks to like a fandom that is out there mm-hmm. for that character. Yeah, but which d- d- despite that, the fact that a Scott Lobdell book about Jason Todd has been ongoing for seven years is kind of amazing. But I also think instead that it's still Lobdell. Having well, having heard you talk about, I think there are a number of dudes who, while on the one hand they would probably would not be getting work if it wasn't for their close personal relationships with either Bob Harris or Dan DiDio or both, I think that there, I think Fabian Lucizia, uh, Scott Lobdell, and someone like Peter David, are guys who actually are able to. They do more. They do, yeah. They just they're able to they're able to keep an audience. People read their comics and are like, "This is what I want from a comic book." Yeah, you know? maybe. So I, but yeah, I think I think that's actually a really good example of something that's kind of like, huh? Like, how is that? Yeah, how, how did that like when when you think of everything else that has been mm-hmm. like created and then cancelled during that time? That's the book that survives. Yeah, super weird to me. Um, on Twitter, DDT. Yay! Says, I always wondered why the 2080 eight-page or so story format is so UK and never caught on the US. I know it feels like I have to rewire my brain to appreciate that format's tempo. Point of order, 2080 stories are six or five pages. That's right. They're even more brutal. Uh, honestly, Dan, one of the things that's crazy is, is that the eight-pager was more of a standard length for US comics back in the 70s and 80s, but for things like DC's war anthologies. So, or um, Action Comics Weekly. That's those, right. Those strips are eight pages. Well, those are eight pages, but those are also... I still feel like that title's a relative anom- anomaly. That being said, I do feel like eight pages is the 
sort of standard U.S. Short form. Yeah, short form. Uh, but it helps. It helps when you get it down to five. I got to tell you, it having helped, read it a bunch helped, of it helps in what way. Um, you that you have to just compress everything so yeah. if there's no filler. Yeah, you just you just have you do you have to compress it. the The sad fact of the matter is is that um, depending on what you are doing uh, as a writer uh, for an eight page story you usually you can front load it with like too many panels on the page. Mm -hmm. In other words, you tend to strangle your storytelling. You just can't strangle your storytelling for the most part when you only have five pages. You just can't. Like you'll get in 2000 AD, you'll see the occasional one page might be a little overloaded with exposition. Maybe that's usually like page two. And then, then you literally have to get into your action sequence and either your absurd speedy resolution or the setup for the cliffhanger for yeah the that's just it you, you have so little space yeah. page one is resolving the previous yeah. episode's cliffhanger yeah page two three four your development page five setting up the next cliffhanger yeah. like that's it that's yeah. all you have time to do but so that's speaking to it from a creator point of view right from a reader point of view why are why are readers resistant to it why does it seem so uk i mean obviously it seems so uk because it's never really been firm it's worked in the u.s well, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a little bit of the. I mean, British readers are literally taught to read in that form. Yeah, exactly. From from a young age, and as we were talking about, <coughs> like you know, 2000 AD did break out and do interesting stuff. But you know, and as did action, as far as what they were throwing in the stories. But, you know, people were still writing five-page stories well, that were going in well, weekly what's anthologies. also fascinating is when 2008 came about, five pages was a luxury. That's right. That's because right. Some of it was like three pages Yeah, the other something. weeklies were having stories that were two or three pages. Yeah. And really, like, yeah. dense storytelling. Like, you're talking like 17 panels That's right. Page. That's true. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a really good point. So I think, A, a I think there's a sweet spot. B, I... I feel like there is, I think, I really think that, that people are ready for, I think they're, I think a weekly anthology comic could work now for, for American readers in part, because I feel like so many Americans, um, I think web comics have helped a lot with that. Yeah. Web comics. And I was going to say manga, because of yeah, course, yeah. you know, so many of those are, but I, but I don't necessarily know what it would take. I feel, again, I feel like so much of this really boils down to training. Because mm -hmm. um, like that's just it. You're, like, you're, you're, you're taught to read that way. You know, right? I think American readers have an expectation of pacing, which doesn't fit into the five page at all. Right. Like, two days in these stories move like motherfuckers. Yeah. They yeah. really do. Even the ones where theoretically it's down episodes. Right. They move like motherfuckers. Right. And American comics cannot keep up that pace. Yeah. At all. No. Well, it's, it's off-putting. I think it's scary to American comic readers. Yeah. So readers who have been taught to read the 20 or 22-page comic. Well, and so I think, I, like you said, I think there's something about training with that that I think would need to work. And I I think you'd have to retrain your audience. Um, I'd love to see a publisher try a, a 2000 week type format. I do. I, I would, would love too. to see it. Yeah, we weekly format again with recurring or returning characters. Honestly, I look back on Action Comics Weekly, and it's it kind of breaks my heart that it didn't work in a way. 
you know. I every time I say this title, I just think of the Mark Wade joke, which is still my favorite joke. My, my maybe my favorite thing about Action Comics Weekly. Wait, I forget. Was it that it was Action Comics Weekly? W E A K L M. Yes, Action yeah, Comics okay. Comics Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> Never before has such comic been well named. He said. <laughs> James Mazzanti says, comics are shit nowadays versus comics are better than ever. Pick a side and pull no punches. I'm going to go with comics are better than ever. Yeah, comics are better than ever. Because you can read all the old stuff still, and there's new stuff, and the new stuff is interesting, weird. There's all, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of shit out there. <laughs> but there's also really interesting stuff. There's different avenues of distribution, and there are different genres, there are different uh, types of creators being allowed to be given advice, right. telling different stories. You may have to search for the good stuff, right? But it's out there. I would say I would. Comics s- are shit nowadays. Go. I would say um, you have to argue why comics are shit. Okay, comics are shit. If by comics you mean uh, the big two, no, uh, he means comics. No, he doesn't. He, he does. Certainly Com- no. He says comics. Okay. How did I end up being with him? Okay, you know what? (laughs) Fuck Graham McMillan. Love him, but fuck him. Uh, Comics are shit in the sense that I feel that the big two have, by making it very clear that there is no avenue for creator participation, and by basically being caught trying to continue characters that have existed for decades longer than I think that you necessarily could. Uh, And I think by the ridiculous amounts of the number of titles that both companies keep shoveling onto the marketplace in order to keep market share, I, I think that the big two comics, despite the fact that they're each are publishing gems, I would say overall are shittier uh, than they used to be. I think that was a wonderfully evasive thing. I don't think we did what James Lanza does. But tough. Yeah. Sky says, do you think Big Two Comics would be more successful at bringing in new readers if there were mail-order subscriptions like magazines? Jeez. I don't know, Sky. That I mean, on the one hand, I think that that's a really charming question. Technically, they do have mail-order subscriptions. Yeah. I mean, I've I've called and gotten. Have you ever, yeah, have you ever had a mail order subscription from Marvel or DC? Um, when I was a kid, I feel like I got one for Superman back in the early seventies. I subscribed in the UK to Mister Miracle wow. and New Guardian. Really, that's fabulous. And that's they're fabulous. both like they must have been like a year apart. Right, I want to say it's like 88 and 89. Huh. 87, I guess that makes sense. Eighty-seven, eighty-eight. Yeah. Um. And in both cases, it was because I liked the books they were spinning out of. I mm-hmm. love Millennium, as you know. Yeah. I love Jack Just Jelly. Yeah. Um, and I wanted the free gift. Because you remember, it used to be like, you get, you see the subscription ad, and be like, get a poster. Like, Millennium, uh, oh. New Guardians was, get a poster, and get the first issue signed by Steve Englehart and Joe Staten. Wow. See? Right? I don't remember that. And That's I was like, fucking yes. Absolutely. And I, like, it was a big deal. Yeah. Because you had to send a, a check, which I couldn't do. I was like 12 or a money order. Right. And so I had to get an international money order mm. together for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did it purely because I love Millennium. And don't forget, Englehart walks off the book with issue two. And Staten's gone from the book by like issue eight. Good Christ. Right? Yeah. yeah. The issues were, because they're sending them internationally, horrifically delayed. Yeah. 
And also completely irregular, like massively irregular. Right. Like I remember I got issues one, two, and three at the same time. Whoa. In the same package. That's so bad. In the same package. Yeah. Um, but then I got issue four, maybe four months later. <laughs> and I got issue six for I got issue five. Like it was just nuts. That's insane. That's um, insane. And Mr. Miracle, I subscribed like to, you know, for issue one. Mm-hmm. And it, my subscription didn't start until issue four. Wow. And so I didn't get a free gift or any, I don't. I honestly don't remember what the free gift was. I think it was a poster again. I can't remember. Um, but it kept like it. It was still, like and also the Mister Miracles, the New Guardians was sent in a plastic wrapper. Mister Miracle wasn't. Wow. And it was sent from America. Oh. So by the time I got them, they were like destroyed. See, comics. that's insane. They were destroyed. That is that. that and like is I was paying so much. Yeah, above that's that's the market rate because well, I was doing it internationally. Right. So yeah, that's. So that was that. DC, you owe Graham McMillan. That's you do. terrible. You do. You owe me packages of Mr. Miracle. That's bad. Actually, you don't owe me packages of New Guardians, so they got them. Um, but yeah. Oh. You owe me a New Guardians collection. That, wow. That's what, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, Sky also says, if not, did we actually answer whether we thought new readers would be... Uh, well, actually, I was going to say, like, because I subscribed back, like I said, when I was super young, Superman, I don't remember as a good experience. That said, a few years back, I got, they were doing, a, DC was doing a subscription where you subscribe for a year, and it it was Teen Titans Go one month, and then Scooby-Doo uh, Team Up the next. Oh, that's, a, that's a nice So story. I got that for your, for my niece, yeah. and she actually loved them, and it was kind of great seeing the issues lying around. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you've got the market for it, I mean, she certainly is still reading comics. And, of course, she's moved on to, like, no-brow, uh, you know, graphic novels and yeah. things like that. But she still she still picks up those comics. And when you're a kid, when you're that young, getting something in the mail addressed to you. It's is, super exciting. She was so into that. That would make her, I like, I was never around for it. But I would hear from her parents that she'd get so excited whenever she'd get mail. I mean, it was a it, comic book. It, it's, it's a potential idea. Yeah. You, you'd mean, have to make it, you'd have to make it, uh, you'd have to do the magazine route of making it so cheap. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That it, that it, it's. Well, see, and that, I think that's part of the thing that's really problematic is, is that, um. That you can't. You can't. Well, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that magazine subscriptions, part of why they work is you can, the magazine sells the subscriptions list to advertisers. Basically, yeah. you build up that profile. Advertise. There just really aren't comic book advertisers anymore yeah. in any way. It's all in-house ads, and and I don't even think they have active marketing squads. But the whole point is, is that you know, like we've had a subscription. Like my entire time with Edie, she's always had a subscription to the New Yorker, and we re-up it, and it's. That's basically a weekly magazine. It's close to like 48 issues a year because there's special double up issues and whatever to give people breaks. And we pay like a stupidly small amount of yeah. money for that. It's such a huge savings over cover price. Mm-hmm. It's not even funny. But it's because we're locked in. They've got all this demographic information for us. And we have worth that they can market to the advertisers. Yeah. So... I, I'm, I'm always bummed that digital hit a certain point and then plateaued. And it'd be interesting to know what caused that. If it really was when comiXology got bought by Amazon and they no longer allowed in-app purchases on iOS. 
or if it's any just number of things topping out. But I'm no wondering, like, to sort of spin off of what you're saying and away from Skyspine, but like, if you offer digital subscriptions, they're really cheap. Yeah, and currently the thing that's crazy about Comixology is there's no discount for subscribing to them digitally. Right. And but like, what if literally, what if you offered uh, like buy twelve get one free? Yeah. No, like if you offered a free issue, would that make any sure. sense? Sure. I I don't know. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that frankly, Comixology just handles that stuff badly still. And I mean, it's not necessarily their fault, but you longtime listeners of the podcast might remember. I subscribe to the digital Wonder Woman comic. Yeah. Right? That comic would go on hiatus and it would be months. And I would write Comicsology and they're like, you'd have to ask DC. Like, they literally wouldn't know when it, like, I'm like, is this, this book's being canceled, right? And they're like, that's not what we were told. We were told that it's going on hiatus. And I'm like, do you get refunds in that case? Oh, um, well, no, because, and this is the other thing, you don't pay in advance. <coughs> you just get billed as each issue no, okay. comes out. Which, for them, I mean, in theory, that's I mean, fine, that, but that's, but here's the thing, like, that's, that's pretty frustrating because DC normally does say final issue for comics. Yeah. Marvel never does. Right. Right, right, right. Well, but that's for comics. When you got into the weird world of digital comics... Yeah, that's true. DC, which is so, Andrew Digital Comics, was no warning whatsoever. Right. So it's like DC would be like, I knew that Wonder Woman had ended because Sensation Comics, the print version, was coming out with their last issue. And I'm like, okay, so you guys are going to cancel my subscription to this. They're like, no, we're just told... Like, it, so it was kept as an active subscription, even though you only get billed when something comes into yeah. it. But in the sense of like... Should I still expect this? Should I not expect this? Yeah, I I think I, I filled out enough uh, questionnaires that I I know they're thinking of something like that. But I feel that the whole idea of discount pricing is so loaded uh, with Comicsology slash Amazon versus the print retailers. Yeah. But again, is it Marvel fucked around for ages and print retailers didn't see boot? Well, they did eventually. Like it was yeah, but, five, but, but for a long, like no. more than a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel didn't. Uh, Marvel got away with it. Yeah, no, you it's know? true. I'm going to say Marvel comics. All Amazon got away with it. Yeah. So it's it's you you know you can make an argument that they could literally go buy you know eleven issues get one free, so you just pay for eleven issues a year, and and get away with it. You yeah. know that that's that that would. That would work. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. If you, listeners, if you're wondering why Jeff is mumbles, it's because he just went to the kitchen to get some water. I did, but kept saying "yup" as if he was in the room. I know, because I because I'm an idiot. Basically. Which is my favorite thing. Uh, Sky also asks, uh, "What distribution model would you want to see implemented?" I don't know. I'd like to see this digital. I'd like to see this digital thing that we're talking about implemented. Yeah. Otherwise, other distribution models. I have no idea. Whoa. What? That's would not I true. Think? I'd like to see a comic version of, like, a Record of the Month Club. Oh, interesting. Or, if you will, a loot created, but just for comics. Yeah, that'd be nice. That Almost like the short box stuff. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of interesting ways to go. I would like to see 
more better digital, more digital outreach for me, digital discounts. I mean, I'd be so happy. <laughs> digital if, discounts for you. Yeah, it's, I'm so big fan of di- of digital. Um, but but honestly, I I feel for me, um, I think that things that would really help would be if DC and Marvel dip their toes into a stronger some sort of returnability program, maybe based around ordering levels, and then using that as a branch to try and start selling comics to bookstores again. So I think that's what I would like to see is like some sort of limited return to returnability to see if you can get some of this stuff back into in it well. Comics, both, were, comics were in bookstores until very recently. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, I just think when that... When I say very recently, I mean, like, the last year. It could be. No, like... It, really I mean, I, like, I'm like, sure like, you, like, I take yeah. a word for it. I mean, in the sense of I wasn't there, but I, I, I'm I sure you're not lying to me. But, yeah, so maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree of that angle. But I do think that... I think that it would be really interesting to see what it would take to grow the marketplace. And what kills me is is that unlike where you look at Silicon Valley and there's massive amounts of venture capital that is dropped just into the streets and into the gutters just to try and test if there's a marketplace, what's the best way to deliver the product to people? Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, you know, Amazon's got these stupid dash buttons where it's like, you know, you just like hit this button and you know, they'll send you more tide or you set up your, subscriptions or prescriptions so that they deliver like nail polish to you every three months or something. Why can't we have something like that with comics? I've never even heard of that. You blow my mind. <laughs> Young says with an increasing number of big creators at DC, be, uh, bringing things back from slash being nostalgic for the post zero hour pre infinite crisis DCU. What characters, concepts or books would you like to see returning from that era? Post zero hour pre infinite crisis. Um, I'm literally like I don't like I don't want to see primal horse come back. See, the problem is, is I really checked out around then. So yeah, especially I mean, both for Marvel and DC during that period. But I feel like especially for DC, like, like I'd, I'd like to see Arrowman come back. Mm-hmm. The Tom Pair Arrowman series. Mm-hmm. Um, and weirdly enough, did you read that ever? I never did. One, of the, thing, one of the things I liked about it was, besides the fact it was the weirdly lackadaisical series, right. in a good way, like it really yeah. was like wonderfully meandering and and, and humanistic in mm-hmm. the, the in the, the true sense, mm-hmm. in a sense of like, you know, even bad guys aren't really bad, you right. know, like there's no one who's like, oh, that's not true. There are very few people who are legitimately evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to see done without Iron Man. I would like to see the Snapper Car book that that book always really wanted to be, mm. mm-hmm. because the 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 heart of the Iron Man series was Snapper Car is washed up and doesn't believe himself anymore, mm. and I like to see that because right. it wasn't done depressingly at all. Right. It was it was very it was very kind towards him despite the fact that he was depressed and he was clearly going through a lot of shit mm-hmm. and had lost his self-belief. Right. But he himself 
was very kind to other people mm -hmm. and was very um he had he had an optimism in other people that he didn't have in himself mm -hmm. and that's like that that's my sniper car for whatever better way of putting it mm -hmm. you know and i'd like to see something like that come back so i'd say our man oh that's nice uh I don't, I don't, again, because I'm not especially super it's, it's, it's not aware really, of are yeah, yeah, I mean, I can go, like, really weird to, to my usual weird places, like, oh, no, like, uh, Amazing Man, why don't they do more Amazing Man, you know? That was pre-Zero Hour. Right? I know, exactly, right? That shows you how bad I am at this shit. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I, I feel like... I have to say one of the things that I find frustrating is, is that I, that I am currently in the throes of post-metal um ennui ennui yeah i think so like i'm like i'm kind of i think i reacted badly to it one of the things that i read over the last couple of days is i read the first issue of the immortal men and i read the first issue of challenges of the unknown and one of the things that I think was really interesting to me is is that uh, you know they're both both those comics have a strong Scott Snyderish influence. Yeah, you I mean, know? Scott Snyder's co-writing, co-writing of Challengers, exactly, right? Challengers, exactly, and it's and it's um, Tyrion. Yeah, it's in yeah, James Tynion, yeah. Right. So uh, I and I just I mean, Immortal Men is a really was a terrible comic but i mean i think most of that we could arguably say is jim jim lee just shot the bed on did he i haven't read i haven't read either and it's it's funny i'd honestly forgot both those comics existed but no that's not true i'd not noticed they'd come out right yeah i which sort of makes sense whereas i was like oh comicsology now sure. that i'm looking at new, new releases i'm like sure i want to support those why not you know let me yeah. give them a shot and I felt like Challenger, Challengers has the thing that Snyder does these days, which is somebody's going to flat out tell you the premise of the book. Like, you know, here's how things are now. Is it, is it in here's narration? How it is it, can is it in it. opening narration? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. More or less. Uh, and, and then you've got a character who literally explains what the problem is. And here's what the solution is. Yeah. And then you see an end, which is like, oh, and here's the complication. Yes. So on the one hand, like Snyder is is doing the work and Snyder's disciples do the work of like, oh, here's why this book exists. Here's what's going on. Here's yeah. what the things that are. But it's turning sort of creepily inorganic. Yeah, you can see the formula. Yeah, the form the formula is there. And also there's just kind of a little bit of the... I feel like Snyder relies on earnestness to make up for not bothering in any way with nuance, you know? And in a, in a way, it sort of makes sense. I sort of feel like that's kind of like part of the early Jeff Johns playbook in a mm -hmm. way, too. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to say, like, when I think back about some of the stuff with DC... Uh, it's the stuff that has like a lot of heart. Like I mentioned Maisie man. Here's another pre uh, zero hour type thing. I'm always impressed by how many people fondly remember blue devil. Like, cause it's great. 
It was great. It was great. Yeah. I, I said that far too quietly for, for yeah, my first Exactly. But it was. It was great. Yeah. It was a very good comic. Right? <laughs> and I mean, across a, a surprisingly wide spectrum of, of what I think of as comic book readers, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And and I kind of wish that there was, in a way, more of that. And mm -hmm. I think that's the weird thing is this Blue Devil, Amazing Man, again, there was that idea of like, we're bringing new stuff into the pipeline. Even if that quote unquote new stuff was something like Blue Devil is like an attempt to create the ultimate Steve Ditko character. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, Do you remember the, the, the in-house odds for Blue Devil? Vaguely. I want to say it says something like making comics fun again. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, and, and so I sort of feel like one of the things that was, was really enjoyable about DC is is that there was like when they were when they were like the cock of the walk and they were the number one seller and they were putting out all sorts of crazy stuff under showcase and they they just believed in turning cranking out a lot of content yeah and what would happen was the editors would create or dictate what the idea was and then they hand it off to the freelancers and the freelancers would take it in some really weird directions right yeah, yeah and in a way that sort of reminds me of the way that things sort of, sort of happened with 2000 ad as well sometimes i wish that there was a lot more of that like we're going to create something but then we're going to do something weird and unpredictable with it yeah this, this is we're like drastically off topic here but yeah. one of the things and i think i've said this from the podcast and i'm fairly sure you and i have talked about it and we're on the same page is there's something really wonderful about comics where people are so not hack work, but mm -hmm. like have, have, have no pretensions about it. Right. Because when you have no pretensions, right. it's either good or bad. Right. You know, and people get a lot looser and a lot sillier. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Like there, there, right. there's, there's goals to be found there. Yeah. When you have like, just, just someone going, Especially in early 2000 AD. Or, but at the same time, you're right. Like in, you know, 1950s, 1960s DC. Mm -hmm. Where they're just like, you know, it's just like, it's just a story. It's an issue. Yeah. Or it's an episode. Yeah. Like, I, it's five pages. Like, what, right. you know, what the fuck if I mess it up? It's, it, you know. Right. I'll, I'll just go weird. Right. Exactly. I'm just going to go weird. Or you get that kind of situation where they, they're already decided before, because of the way that they were scheduling things is like, Okay, but, you know, come up with that fourth space cabbie story because we don't really know what the sales are going to be because, you know, because we won't see until the third or fourth yeah, one's yeah. out. But assuming that it's going to work, let's come up. So the idea that you're doing four fucking space cabbie stories, of course, the th third or fourth one's going to be insane. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, I feel that um, I would like to bring that spirit back to D.C., Weirdly, yeah. it's it's funny because you know Jonathan says, you know, post zero hour, mm -hmm. pre infinite crisis, and part of me is like, that's one of the most boring eras of DC. Right. I mean, not really. Around about the two thousands is when Morrison's JLA was popular, and and they were doing their like new Silver Age thing. I guess so. which which was like fun as a reader, but again, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say any of those are new series particularly. Right. Like, there's nothing where I'm like, oh, there was a great new title they launched during then that I'd love to see back. Right. You know, right. yeah. DC one million. Give me DC one million back. Show show me the DC of the eight hundred fifty third century again. Right. You know, but right. but that's that's a Justice League book. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I can't think of anything that was 
you know, I, I'd be lying if it was like, I can't wait until they bring Major Bummer back. Right. Yeah. Right now, Matt Terrell's screaming at us going, zero. Chris Mason, <laughs> zero. We hear you, Matt. We do. We hear you. Sky uh, says again, second Sky question. Hey, Sky. If someone forced you to make a miniseries reboot or movie adaptation of Star Brands, what would your pitch be? There's a follow-up. If you can't work with this, give me a Micronauts pitch instead. Ah, uh, that's great. Uh, I repeatedly thought that if you're going to make a Micronauts movie, you basically just adapt the first year of Mantlo. Yeah. It's, as closely as you it's can. A, it's a, know, it's a complete that, epic unto itself. I know that say. a lot of the rights to those characters actually stay with Marvel. Yeah. But as close as you can get, you basically just follow that formula. Because yeah. it is. It's it's Star Wars by way of Kirby. It's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a completely solid, mm-hmm. complete uh, beginning, middle, and end science fiction epic. Yeah. Go after that. That's the Micronauts movie. Yeah. Yeah. Star brand movie though. Star brand. Well, I mean, Green Lantern. <laughs> I, see, but I think, I think, I think there's a, see, and this is it. Cause there's, since we talked about star brand, like star brand started to build to something and then just collapsed in on itself, yeah. you know? And so the weird thing also was joking about how much it was like the greatest American hero, you mm-hmm. know, too. If Green Lantern was also the greatest American hero, it was kind of like, Oh, he's, He's flying. Now he's lost. Oh, he can't keep his shirts on. You know, what all whatever ridiculous stuff that it is. Part part of me is like fuck. Again, it's like the soap opera. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I feel like one of the best things that the DC shows have done is kept their eye on the fact that people love like people who watch TV shows like soap opera and romance. And so part of me is like, I, part of me is like star brand, depending on where it ends up, if you put it at FX, at, at, at FX, I think a green lantern who fucks is basically going to like work for someone on FX. You like, literally just made me think when you're talking about greatest American hero, what if you did star brand with the gladiator twist from the Imperial guard? He's got the most powerful weapon in the world. As long as he believes in himself. Oh. Like if his confidence is shot, he's fucked. Right, uh, and then and then you see him go through periods of like, oh, is my confidence? Yeah, there because or you not? get you get the soap opera with that. Right, I don't know. Having seen the greatest American hero, like back when it came <laughs> out, I feel Believe like it or not, Jeff. yeah, <laughs> I'm walking on air ground. Uh, I just don't think that. I just think that part of the problem is is that that gets old. Like, I mean, I think that's sort of the problem. It's like. He believes in himself. He has a crisis. Then he does it. Then it's over. You and know what I mean? Just, if, then if you redo okay, it, then, then here is my here is my pitch to you. Okay, you pass the star brand on once the that story's done. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess you know. And I, here's realistically, I wouldn't reboot uh, Star Brand as a movie or anything. Like it's 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 a concept that other like it has been done. It's Green Lantern, Clansman. It's it's you know. There's not enough in there other than Ken Connell being a shit. Yeah, but I think honestly, that's what TV's all about now. Ken Connell being a shit. Yeah, no, I'm seriously. That's what I mean. If you were basically like, it's Breaking Bad, but it's a superhero comic. You know what I mean? Like it's a dawn because that would get greenlit. Well, yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Uh, is is like if you go in and sell it that way of like <clears throat> here, here's sort of this bizarro take on toxic masculinity, and that you give this guy like ridiculous amounts of power. 
And that power more or less reinforces the way in which as basically a six foot three blonde white guy, he already <laughs> oh had, exactly. you know, it's the ultimate extension of your privilege. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but, but there's, there is shit that, um, that, that one of the things that I, where I would go with it, that I think would be interesting would be the idea of you, you actually move away from the green lantern, thing in some ways in that you don't stress the alien but you know there's a couple of those issues where ken is paranoid as shit because of course the old man keeps popping up everywhere yeah yeah. i would actually love to have a sequence where like like ken is drinking in a bar and (laughs) well either that or he just notices that someone else has a different tattoo because that's it i would go some i would go with big conspiracy type stuff where Ken doesn't really know he's got the star brand, but he really doesn't know where it came from. But then you get into, of course, shadowy government conspiracies and things like that. And you, you can go, you can go in deep weird places with mythology and fine. I, okay. You can run the show. The oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad you're like, okay, Jeff's okay. Everyone, but yeah, no Jeff, one else. Yeah, yeah, Jeff's got yeah. it. That's it. Exactly. Um, you know, back and says, uh, another question for me, Legion of superheroes collection is coming out in July. That finally collects the Earth War arc, Super Boy and Legion of Superheroes issues twenty one to twenty five, uh, two four one to two four five. Where does it fall on your top Legion series list, and would you recommend it for new readers? Um, would I recommend it for new readers? I don't think I would. Really? Why? It feels very. I feel there are better Legion stories for new readers. Mm-hmm. I don't feel there's anything particularly um, compelling about that to make people into a Legion fan. Mm-hmm. They're completely solid stories. Uh, I want to say it's the first Levitt's issues. Oh, interesting. Maybe I might be misremembering that. Um, and they're fine, but they're they're fine mid seventies Superboy Legion superheroes comics. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's they're fine. Mm-hmm. Where do they fall in my top Legion stories? They're not in my top Legion. Oh, interesting. Okay. I you know me. I like like the nineteen eighties uh, Levitt stuff. Mm-hmm. I love the the Wade. Reboot, reboot the the thing. I right. even like the original Wade reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the five years later stuff. Right. Um, you did like you did like some of the early Levitt stuff. The of course the Tusca Cockrum Grell. Right. Era. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and the 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 original Legion stories as well are super charming. Mm-hmm. Like the I know for that matter the original Shooter run. Frankly, the Shooter stuff's got some really interesting shit. Right. In there. Yeah. So I you mean, know, there's, really there's so readable. much there's so much more stuff in there than yeah. I, that I would recommend before I'd recommend Earthworld. So sorry, not great. Yeah. Chad Nemet says with Shields finishing with the final two issues coming out. Did you see that? Yes. It's out today. Oh, it, are it, they? Issue. Yeah. Are they both at the same time? Issue five is definitely out today. Um, are there any other unfinished, cancelled, too soon books you'd like to see have a chance at the proper ending? Probably. I can't think of any you off know, the top of my head. It, it, it's, a, it's a good question because I feel like, I mean, honestly, some of the stuff that, that mattered to me is it's like gone. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, no, that, that's just it. It's like not because the creators are gone. Yeah. Like you'll you know never, I mean? like, Steve Gerber is never going to come back and finish Omega the Unknown with Mary Screens because yeah. he's dead. Yeah. So Kirby's never going to get to do more Captain Victory because again, Kirby's dead. dead. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about anything relatively recently. Right? You know what? Yes, uh, Roger Langridge and Chris Samney doing more Thor. Oh yeah. 
Right. I That's really, actually I a really, nice pick. I really would like to see more of that. Yeah. Or would have liked to have seen more of that. Really, I want to see the two of them reteaming Shazam with DC. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah. That'd be lovely. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I sort of feel like... Uh, I feel like I'm not, I'm not following some of that stuff very very closely enough these days. So, I, yeah, I'm going to pass. All the stuff that I love is sort of stuff that got truncated badly too, in the 70s or old, 80s. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is more of a Baxter building question, says Troy Wilson. But what the heck? What I the love heck? that he says what the heck. Yeah, go um, for it, I'll ask here anyway. Of all the FF issues you've read so far, which would you each consider to be your top five individual issues? Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's really rough. Um, I would say, and this is off the top of my head. Wow. I'm not going to be able to say issue numbers, mm-hmm. but and they're almost all Lee Kirby. Mm-hmm. This man is monster. I knew you were going to pick that because everyone does. Yeah, but yeah. also it's Ben Grimm, and it's it's like yeah. it's Kirby and Sinnott in their sweet spot. Yeah, and it's Ben Grimm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, the Black Panther two parter fifty two fifty three. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've got to get out of Kirby. See, the thing that's rough is, is like individual issues or individual stories, right? Because I mean... Issues. Top five. Right. So, okay. So like you're already, you're three three. out of five. Um, You know what? I'm going to say the first Simonson issue. I think the first Simonson issue is super, super, super strong. And like it's all downhill from there, but the first Simonson issue. Mm. Um, And... I honestly feel like there's got to be a burn in there and I don't know what it is. But I feel there's got to be a burn in there. Yeah. Terror in a tiny town. Okay. I, will, I don't know about you, but I definitely no, put... That, that's a super strong one. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a super strong one. I think that's my by far my favorite burn issue and the one that I can actually think about and think fondly. So, right. Terror in a tiny town. Uh, the... The, the basically the finale of the Galactus Silver Surfer story because mm-hmm. of course it goes like halfway through and then pivots. Yeah, it, the it's, it's like it's like uh, was it half of issue forty nine, half of issue fifty, something like yeah, that. Something yeah, something like that. So, um, I'm going to pick that issue with um, Roy Thomas and George Perez, like around FF. I think it's like one seventy six, maybe where it's impossible man versus the frightful four. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yes. And that, that was, that was a lot of fun and very goofy. Um, terror in a tiny town. You've not done any Kirby or, or Lee yet. Wait, I did do Kirby and Lee. Wasn't oh, it? Sure, of course you had to do Galactus. Yeah. Galactus. Terror right. in a tiny town. Terror in a tiny town. Um, Galactus. Uh, Thomas and Perez. Thomas and Perez. The Wedding of Reed and Sue and FF Annual 2 with all oh, the superheroes, yeah. that actually always rings my chimes. Uh, and then for my weird, well, I already did those. I have to go with Lee Kirby one more time, which is I remember being blown away by not as much the, I think the conclusion of him, the, fi- the finale okay. of him. Yeah. I remember okay. being so into how much that's Kirby doing like crazy ass. Yeah. Cosmic shit. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, that's the, those, that would be how I do it. Flash says, have you ever given up reading comics? If so, what was your longest inactive period? What made you stop? And what made you start back up again? 
I never have. I never I've come have. really close. I, I know. I think we've done this in a previous. We uh, did talk about Q&A. this because you were telling me a little bit about how because you did. I thought you did stop for like a couple of months. Yeah, but I didn't really. Like it was never in. I didn't go. I'm stopping. Do you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's more like I just didn't read them. I think that probably does count because because honestly, I so for me. No, because if that's the case, like I've stopped. I've stopped reading comics a lot of the time. What's have you like? You've gone months without reading comics. Yeah, I don't know if I ever have. I honestly don't know if I ever have. Um, but like, like I, I definitely, when I was in college, I definitely came close to like actually stopping reading. Right, comics. right. Like, like purposely being like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Whereas, like, I like one of the big thrills of coming to college was being in a college town where there was going to be comic book stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. When I moved to Los Angeles, I was. Well, I I was aware of transitions. I definitely was aware that there was a point in high school where it wasn't so much like where I was aware that I was buying comics and it felt like a little bit like rote, you know, like in some of my big passions, it sort of started to dwindle. Mm -hmm. But then Alan Moore came in on DC and that really relit things for me. And then through college, not a problem. After college, I moved to Los Angeles uh, I lived relatively close to uh, Golden Apple, and that was during the. I moved there in the late '80s, super late '80s, and then was there through the '90s. Um, so I was there through the birth of Image, mm-hmm. and even actually, I guess not the birth of Image as much as like I remember like uh, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man issue number yeah. one, and it being packed, and yeah. like when Legends of the Dark Knight one came out with like five stupid covers or whatever. That was the first comic with varying colors, remember? And they were just different colors. Yeah, just different colors. Yeah. And it wasn't even the real cover. It was like a, a, a second cover. Yeah, right. Because there's another, there was a proper cover inside. That's right. Yeah. 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 Just <clears throat> crazy. That left me completely cold. But because if, if, and if I had had, if it had been a worse comic book store where that was all there was. You would have been like, I'm done. Exactly. There's nothing here for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But at that point, Fanographics was moving into publishing their comics yeah, more Love regularly. Yeah, and everything must have been around and like Hate. And- well, see, that's it. Love and Rockets had been around since I started college, but it was like Hate and 8-Ball yeah. that, that ended up kicking in <clears throat> in that phase of the late 80s, early 90s. And I adored that stuff. And then I started getting into Weirdo and then... So basically, all the alternative indie and underground so, so, stuff. So all you were tempted. Up. Like there, there was a point where, like, you were. Oh no! How did you tempt it as much as like um, this isn't doing it for me? But luckily, there's this other thing. Yeah, there's this other thing. Yeah. And similarly, I remember when I started working in Comics Experience, and it was like maybe my third or fourth week there. And of course, I was reading every comic on the rack as it came out, and I was like, "This is boring as shit." And uh, that was, I could have again fallen off there, but then I just started reading manga off the shelf mm-hmm. and, and I was like, I got to understand what the appeal of this is and just kept trying until I found stuff that clicked with me. So to, to sort of spin off one last thing of flash before we move on, he said like, what made you start back up again? Mm-hmm. You kind of said, you know, hate and, and, and April kept you in. Yeah. And for me, like it, it was reading, um, Eddie Campbell's Alec. Yeah, and, 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 right, and, which I was reading there in that same sort of yeah, period. Yeah, and, and Dave like. McKean's mm-hmm. Cages. Like, mm-hmm. I remember them going, oh, no, this is like, it, my fire was going out, but I was like, look at this. Yeah, exactly. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and that's still what keeps me in. 
like one of the things the reason I grabbed the comics are great mm-hmm. like position earlier on is one of the great things about the Eisner judging mm-hmm. was going I've not seen some of this stuff and some of the stuff is amazing yeah like some stuff gets me so excited as a reader yeah and that's what keeps me in even when I'm like oh god like I can't read another issue of X-Men right do you know what I mean like I'm sure like there's the X-Men waiting thing and I should really read it for work mm-hmm. but I, I literally like I'd rather fall asleep right now yeah but then you're like you know there's you know Rosemary Brolero oh god I can't remember her last name but who did uh, What is Left the one in the short box comics that's nominated for one of the Eisners mm-hmm. and I read it and I was like this is fucking astounding right this is like mind-bendingly good mm-hmm. I am in love with this comic from the first page and every single page is giving me something new and exciting and this, yep. this is amazing and that's what keeps you in right yeah. yeah I think so I think so is there's every point there's something um you know some new wrinkle that manages to keep keep me excited I do have to say it's hard for me sometimes the fact that we're doing a podcast and knowing how much of what's out there that I'm missing yeah and that part is hard. It doesn't bother me so. It bothers me a little bit as a as a reader, but it bothers me more as a, as a podcaster who's like, who really does like talking about comics, knowing that there's all sorts of shit that I'm missing, and it's kind of. It was weirdly. It was exciting for me to find that out. Yeah, because it really was like, a, oh, there's so much more out there. I just need to find it. Yeah, which you I know, think like, is, which great. is great. Yeah, it's it's great. But, but I also. have the framework to find it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it was almost like, well, I have to read this. Like, I, I, I've made a commitment. I have to read this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is different from, oh, God, I know there's stuff out there. Right. How do I find it? Well, and this, you is, know? this is one of the things that actually is frustrating to me about this stuff. It's like, if it's not in, because I've become so much more, like, I don't like having the stuff pile up or, like, I don't, if it's not available in digital, I get really hand wringy. Like, yeah. there's. No, but under, understandably. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess, but I no, part the thing of me is that, like, like if, it's, if it's not easily available, then right. there really is a, you know, how much effort are you willing to put in to try something else out? Yeah. That, yeah. That's completely understandable. Um, I'm going to say we're going to wrap it up with this next question. Okay. We have other questions which we should do in the next wave on. Ooh, okay. Um, but we're also approaching the two-hour mark. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say we should wrap it up okay. with this next one. And I want to ask this question, and then I want you to tell me what you think my answer is, because I think my answer to this is really obvious. Okay. You ready? Okay, I'm going to blow this, but all right. If everything on Earth... Oh, sorry, this is Bill Reed. If everything on Earth was destroyed except for one comic book issue, which comic book issue would best represent humanity for the alien archaeologists who find it? Because my... I, I read this and I had an immediate, I know what it is. Really? Yeah. Shit. Because I saw this and I was too busy trying to figure out what the fuck it would be for me. So I should I, should I just say it? Yeah, you should. What Oma, is your Omak issue one? Oh my God, you motherfucker. That's hilarious. Because that is, that's my go-to for like, because I don't think it best represents civilization. I just think that it represents. I like, think it best represents where we fucking are now. Uh, it's probably true. You're right. You're right. <laughs> That's true. The the whole rioting and the 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 kicking somebody in the ass and God knows the weird like all that weird shit with the incels and of course your build a friend you know yeah. which is clearly yeah. a sex story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I think Kirby takes it again. I just love. I think Omac number one, of course, is just 
It's a perfect comic. It is a perfect comic. It is absolutely one of the top five best comics ever. And, and I still think one of the the best, if not yet yeah, the best first issue. You know, God, it's so good. Anyway, that's a great pick. I'm just going to hop on, on your little back. And... I, I honestly thought that you'd be like, oh, I know. I don't think it's going to go for a while. Oh, like, it's so it's, it's it such just a shame. Seemed, it just seemed like so obvious a me um, choice. But it's, it, I honestly think it's a great representation of where we are. You know, I think we've been talking about that recently. I probably would have grokked it. Grokked that. But yeah, no. I don't know. It's a good pick, Ram. So good. Thanks. We have a bunch of questions left. We'll have to do it the next time. Okay. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance. Well, at this point, it won't be advanced because you will have heard this episode by the time you're hearing this. But uh, for the sound quality, because I'm sure you and I have been moving about and everything during all this. Yeah. We're not using microphones for lunch. We're just using the, the laptop. There's been dogs barking. There's been dogs playing. The dogs have been surprisingly quiet. Though. I know, but they've been playing. So you hear lots of tapping, tapping, tapping. Yeah. You and I have been tapping the table, which is probably right. coming through. as like uh, a That's bump. what I'm worried about. Bump. My thump, thump, bump. bump, bump. So, yes. So, listeners. I'm really sorry for the sound quality of this, but at the same time, I'm not because Jeff and I never get to do this face to face. This is always fun. like and once a year, yeah, and, it and it's always like well. a nice, loose, weird conversation. Yeah, we have. yeah, exactly. So yes, I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> so that's that's all that counts. If I'm all for it, everything's fine. Exactly. This is the point where I say that we are uh, we have show notes up at wewhatpodcast.com. Yes. We oh Jeff right here so you can just say yes the same thing this is great uh, we have uh, new stuff on the Tumblr on Mondays Tuesdays Wednesdays and Thursdays which is weightwatchpod.tumblr.com uh, and we have a Twitter account at weightwatchpodcast Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastid l a z y b a s t i d I have a Twitter account at graham m at g r a e m m I always get that wrong. I know how to spell my name. I promise. I yeah, do. I'm always like, huh. It always trips me up. I, I think it's the, I think it's the it's E-M-E-M. E-M-E-M. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're a Patreon supported podcast. But before we get to Patreon supported podcast, I'm going to throw it out to you listeners, what I was throwing out to Jeff before. Yeah. Um, if we started an Instagram to repost what we're putting on Tumblr, is that something anyone would be interested in? Right. Leave, leave comments and, and, Tell us on Twitter if that's a good idea or a waste of time or not. Actually, one of the things that I think is worth pointing out to everyone, because this is one of those things, uh, we have a Tumblr, but we tied it to our Twitter feed. And in fact, yeah. the the Wait What podcast uh, Twitter feed is predominantly, predominantly the yeah, Tumblr. Is a, it's, yeah, exactly. We don't really – so if you have to follow just one. But yeah. Do let us know about that Instagrammy type thing because that's that's what's great is I've been thinking this for a couple of weeks and I asked Jeff and Jeff responds pretty much like I'm old I don't know it's totally true <laughs> I do not have an Instagram account apparently no, everyone's into it I. are you that's really surprising I don't know I don't take enough photos I barely do enough screenshots like I'll look at uh, my my screenshots on my iPad and I screenshot like crazy when we on our FF issues and then I'll take like three major screenshots i'm the one who does that show notes so i I don't know i don't know because i'm because i want to refer to it or it's like i'll remind myself screenshots of the stuff you're reading and then post it to the top no i know i agree i agree anyway jeff i said the thing about patreon did you yes which means that you You even said graham that before you got around to it you're gonna ask okay so yes listeners um, you are fabulous. You managed to keep us interested and uh, engaged and 
You ask I can't wonderful do, questions. You really do. There's some actually some great stuff. We were we were a little alarmed with the first time we put out the call for questions because we got like well, also we put out the call like super half heartedly at the end of a Baxter building. So. Yeah, and people were like, eh. and it was like, oh, that's okay. No one likes us anymore. So uh, jokes on us. They never liked us. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, it's it's sad. It's it's sad the codependent relationship that we have with. Uh, the people who listen because you guys are wonderful and apparently we're not and the only way we can feel like we are is if you continue to act like you like us and one of the things that's great is the people of Patreon do a super great job at at tricking us into thinking that you like us through uh, cash yeah through through the old cosmic dosh and um we are super grateful for that. It, it's, it allows us to do things like the Baxter building. And it's why we've actually spent a stupid amount of time trying to figure out what we're going to do after Baxter building. So we still uh, haven't decided. I know. It's embarrassing. <laughs> oh my God. Although, oh, yeah, no. we, we just got so many different directions to go in. That being said, uh, we do want to thank all of our listeners and especially the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for their continuing support of this podcast. It really means a lot. Also, um, you know, uh, we're never really sure where Empress Audrey stands on that whole crushing the cosmos, but she can do it. It's not happened yet. Yeah. So I think that's another thing to feel uh, pretty good about, Graham. I think it's the best thing to feel pretty good about. Continued survival of the universe. I'm in favor. I think so too. I'm for it. Wow. <laughs> a brave stand by Graham McMillan. One of many in this podcast, along with comics are great. Now you take the other side, Jeff. Do it now. You know what he's asking. Do it exactly like this. No, you're doing it wrong. McMillan. I just want to bring something up now, Jeff. Do you know that where we're sitting is right above the bedroom of the Airbnb beneath? I did not know that. <laughs> Maybe considering the time, shouting is not a good idea. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right, we. I'll be quiet now. Oh, uh, that was that was great though. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, Jeff. Yes, Grant. When are we back? I don't know. I think we took this last week off, so <clears throat> I think we're back next. Let's come back next week with another. Wait, what? And we'll finish up the questions, and then after that, we'll do a Baxter building, and then... Sounds like a plan. Perfect. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. We'll be back next week. We'll answer some more questions. We'll have microphones, so it'll be clearer for you to hear our dulcet tones. But otherwise, bye! Lovely. Just lovely. <laughs>